Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that you should give your MP3 player to when you die. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with my assistant, assistant coach, Joe Reed. <laughs> uh, fuck him up. What's the thing that Bobby Cannavale yells in the middle of the match <laughs> that uh, Giamatti tells him to, to cool it? Giamatti's funny in this, but his character is so annoying and irritating and, like, the worst kind of person, the worst oh, kind of, so? like... Oh, See, I, I think, think he's, he's a so good annoying. person that does something bad. Cannavale? Something understandably bad. No, I mean Cannavale. Oh, Cannavale. Oh, you said Giamatti. Oh, no, sorry. Bobby Cannavale's character is so annoying in this movie. <laughs> but this is like... See, Bobby Cannavale, I feel like, kind of got a... I don't want to say got too big, but like... You know, this this movie's 12 years old, which feels wild to me, because yeah. this movie feels almost adrift in time at any time in the past 20 years. This movie sure. could be 25 years old if it's 10 years old. Yeah. Um, Bobby Cannavale in this movie is so funny, but, like, he's in yes. this movie the exact right amount to be that funny and do the Bobby Cannavale shtick. Whereas, like, now, I feel like movies have maybe... 50% too much Bobby Cannavale to do the Bobby Cannavale shtick. The but other like, the other thing is I think the Bobby Cannavale shtick has evolved in a way that like I think Tom McCarthy cast Bobby Cannavale to play a kind of overbearingly gregarious person who like you push him to slight degrees one way or another but he's still on this like continuum of like a person you would be friends with. And he's either yeah. like in the station agent, he's a little too, um, he's a little overbearing. And in this one, he's a little too much of a sports dad, even though he doesn't have any actual kids in this. Slash but, yappy lapdog. Like he's yeah. almost like the puppy of this movie where, you know, you get those like puppies that are so sweet, but are like, you know, you get too close to their owner and they're like, hey, who the fuck are you? Well, you and know, he's like also like, he's still he's still living in his high school past in a way. And he's yeah. got like the thing where like he'll he'll like park outside his ex-wife's condo and like these things that are like. That's icky. Don't. Well, and also it's like, but it's like, it's not like he does anything. He just sort of like, you know, he's it's benignly icky, but he's just kind of an annoying personality. And I think in later years, people have sort of morphed the Bobby Cannavale shtick to be a little more aggro, 
a little more uh, dangerous a little bit. I think the fact that he won that Emmy for Boardwalk Empire, where he was like a snarling monster throughout that entire season, um, kind of changed that a little bit. I guess he was still doing like the Will and Grace thing. Um, But yeah, I don't know. He's an interesting, he's in that movie with Rose Byrne at TIFF that I'm not going to, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to see. Uh, the Tony Goldwyn movie that as this episode drops, we are at TIFF. As oh we had, shit, that's right. As we as this episode drops, we are at TIFF, and today the holdovers, I believe, has its TIFF premiere. Wow, we'll did we have... did we plan that specifically? Because we did not. We were that's just amazing. Like, well, what what should we talk about? Let's talk about Giamatti. Yeah, that's right. The holdovers, and it turns out, hey, I mean, we've had this one planned for longer than the schedule's been out. So it's... yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. Um, we'll talk about the Giamatti character, of whom I have very complicated feelings. Um, more complicated feelings about this movie, I think, than I than I remember having uh, initially, too, which is oh, always um, an interesting way to approach a film. So I'm excited to talk about this. I always... Tom McCarthy's an interesting figure in film, because he makes these very small movies even the biggest of his small movies is still small like spotlight's one of the more like you know in scope certainly like less least grandiose best picture winners um of of our time but he takes a long time to make these small movies right where it's like four years in between the station agent and the visitor four years between the visitor and uh win-win Four years, essentially, and then he makes, like, that weird, like, double where it's, like, the cobbler, oh, no, and then it's, like, no, 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 forget about the cobbler, I've got the spotlight, (laughs) like, nobody needs to think about the cobbler. Um, And then Stillwater was even longer after that, right? Like, um, It was 2021, so six years. Yeah. Um, So it's, like, it's, he, he kind of takes these sort of long intervals. And he's not doing that to, like, you know, work on these, like, epic, you know what I mean? Like, Baz Luhrmann, you know, uh, that's why uh, Baz Luhrmann takes so long is because he's making these, like, big, epic, grandiose things. Um, Which I think is interesting. He puts a lot of care into these very sort of script-forward movies. Mm -hmm. And he's got a really good batting average as a result. Yeah, I would say, I mean, and a... Spectrum of quality from you yeah. know yes. disaster of the the cobbler not good in Stillwater and that you know you I you still haven't seen it. Stillwater so I it's I, not I, worth I, seeing I've heard good things you are the person I know who hates it the most but like I've heard people who really liked it so like I am gonna have to check it out for there are people we trust who do actually see something you know valuable and an attempt at uh, uh, you know, uh, a reconciliatory tone for a certain type of character, whatever. I kind of don't get that at all from that movie. Um, yeah. Yeah, don't care for that movie. Um, we will probably, it is probably on our list of possibilities, though, because, like, it definitely, sorry to say, but yeah, it is. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, you can you can have your full say about it. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. When we eventually exactly. do it. We don't have to completely go into it. Yeah. This is a movie I was more than happy to revisit. I love this movie a lot. I would say this and Spotlight are 
safely McCarthy's best movies. Oh, interesting. Um, this, I think, I think is a better movie than we maybe talk about. Like, I don't think, you know, we're maybe the first people to have a conversation about this movie in, uh, yes, you know, a decade probably. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I really like this movie. I think it's a lot of people in this movie doing kind of what they do best, but in a way that doesn't right. feel greatest hitsy. Right. Um, right. I put it solidly behind the station agent. I think the station agent is definitely McCarthy's second best movie in my estimation. And the station agent is is really good. Go back to our station agent episode. Though I uh, feel like I maybe had complicated feelings about the station agent. Yeah, I think we are. I think we sort time. of uh, we we flip on on these two movies, Win Win and the Station Agent. Um, but we'll get into it. Uh, we should probably uh, plug our Patreon, though, before we get too far. Why don't you tell our things. listeners uh, all about that Patreon? Well, we have finally launched our Patreon. It's been, by the time this is up, we'll have been going for a good month and a half, I feel like, right? Yeah, so, we got some good episodes waiting for you. Uh, we were so um, uh, gratified to hear that so many people were excited about uh, the Patreon. And we uh, are that much more enthused about bringing you um, some really, really great episodes. We've got some already up there. If you have not signed up for uh, this had Oscar buzz turbulent brilliance, which is what we are calling the Patreon. Yeah. Go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash this had Oscar buzz for $5 a month. You will get two new episodes Every month, in addition to our flagship uh, podcast, um, one once a month we'll be doing uh, an exceptions episode. Exceptions are when we cover movies that sort of fit all the parameters of this hot Oscar buzz movie, but it like pulled in a nomination or two, even though it did definitely fall short of its uh, of ex- expectations. We've uh, already covered nine, the Rob Marshall adaptation of the stage musical nine and the Gary Ross movie, Pleasantville. Both of those episodes are waiting there for you. If you want to sign up right now, uh, we've the got next upcoming one will be a listener's choice exception too. the That's poll true. is currently going on. There is yes. a current front runner. It's exciting. Patreon members uh, are uh, had exclusive ability to vote for this movie out of ten possibilities. It was a it was a whirlwind poll. So uh, we already, by the time you are listening to this, uh, have, know what that episode is, and probably by the time you are listening to this, have already recorded it. But um, we are. Very excited to bring further ex- uh, exceptions episodes to you. This is the sort of thing that we've been teasing for a very long time on this podcast. And finally, there are, this opens the door to so many movies that, you know, oh, if only it didn't get this one nomination, we could talk about it. And now we'll be able to talk about those kinds of movies. So... um there's also then uh, once a month we will be doing what we call an excursions episode, which are format breakers. We've recorded an episode where we talked about Chris uh, taking a trip to see Magic Mike live in Las Vegas. We have done an episode discussing the 2016 Hollywood Reporter Actress Roundtable, which should be uh, dropping Up in a few on days our Patreon as of when feed. This episode drops. Yep, this week. So. Uh, uh, no better time 
to sign up for this head Oscar buzz turbulent brilliance just in time to hear us talking about the 2016 Hollywood Reporter Actress Roundtable, the one that included Isabelle Huppert making all those silly faces. Annette um, Benning talking about South America. Oh my god, it's so good. Uh, I will uh, say that Actress Roundtable excursion is, uh, I, I would be willing to say, peak form for both of us. Yeah, uh, we it's really good. We really enjoy it when it it's really good. So anyway, um, patreon.com slash this had Oscar buzz. Again, $5 a month gets you, uh, I think, a lot. I think it gets you some really, really interesting episodes that you'll be able to enjoy. And um, and who and knows what be we'll be bringing in the future. patron-only mailbag soon. Patron-only mailbag. Like, Chris and I are really, really excited to explore the kinds of things that we can deliver on this patreon so um tell your friends tell anybody who uh who you know who enjoys the podcast um it's it's gonna be well worth it so thank you and back to our regularly scheduled discussion about win-win you could almost say that signing up for our uh, Uh, patreon uh, is a real win-win situation i've heard i've heard that said about us before uh, I'm actually, uh, I love when you surprise me in this way. I am, I'm surprised to hear you have some skepticism about this movie. And I wonder if your skepticism around it is the type of skepticism I maybe usually would have about maybe. Around a movie like this. Um, I do think this is a very sentimental movie. For me, I think it really kind of earns that sentiment um sure. in a real yeah. way uh I, I mean like i think everybody's delivering a really good performance in this movie oh that i absolutely agree with you it's a fantastic cast like down to i believe i saw this movie after i saw nina arianda do venus and fur on broadway at which point mm-hmm. i instantly became a giant nina arianda stand um and then the moment rem- in time when we were like, maybe we'll get Nina Arianda movie star. And <sighs> like, I don't think I can think of something I've seen her in in a movie since Flo Flo Jenkins. Oh my God. Flo Flo Jenkins. <laughs> Flo Flo Joe was definitely a Nina Arianda performance. She's shown up in like small roles and things though. Um, but you're right in that like she deserves. She deserves a lead role in something. Um, let's see. What is her? Oh, she, she was, was in... in Stan and Ollie. You know oh, what no, she was she in? She was in Being the Ricardo. She was Vivian duh. Vance in Being the Ricardo. She was great in that. I loved Cause, her. Because that. Uh, that season, you know, you liked that movie more than I, but I think I even people who liked that movie were just kind of like, well, Nina Arianda is kind of getting screwed in this awards run of just like. You the know. fact that like J.K. Simmons got all the the um, right supporting right. attention there, and not Nina Arianda, which is too bad. She was really good. I do um, think the best scenes in the movie are Nina Arianda's. It's kind of surprising though that she and has Dahlia Shawcats. I like Dahlia Shawcats. I love Dahlia Shawcat too. Um, it's kind of surprising that Nina Arianda has never gotten a television show. Like there are so many television shows. Sure, sure, sure. There's the so fact many that Nina Arianda is not in more movies is maybe, you know, exhibit 756 of why they're, uh, of, like, there are no comedies anymore. Like, right, right. She would be in movies if we made comedies. 
Right. That's the thing, which is why I sort of think about television, because it's like, at least on television, like she should have an Apple TV Plus series. You know what I mean? She should have. Yeah, but I mean, like those those shows aren't. Those those shows have stars and like a lot of people. the like, but that's what I mean is she should be a star of that. You know what I mean? Like she should. I mean, be... like I loved Dickinson. I know people. I mean, like people love Severance, and I know people who love Slow Horses. But like, there are a ton of Apple shows, and like no one has ever watched them, or no the one thing, talks about them. The thing about Apple TV Plus is it's it's so many shows that they they have a ton of shows that just air and nobody talks about them, but they also have a ton of shows that are really good. Like it's both. They just have I, so I, I much. I have heard people output. talk about physical too, but like those are the physical's good. Platonic is really about. funny. Um, people really liked silo. I didn't watch silo, but like people like got into that show. People really like for all mankind for say what you will about Ted Lasso, but like Ted Lasso was a yeah. sensation. I you know you what I mean? Kind of forget about, te- I forget about Ted Lasso as an apple product right but at what you know what i mean like yeah. it's and severance too like they they have a ton of successes they just also have a ton of really anonymous like throw it in a hole kind of shows mm-hmm. and it's it really is both and so it's like their batting average isn't great i think a, a, a platform like peacock actually has like a much better batting average because mm-hmm. it's fewer shows but like those hits then like mrs davis and poker face really kind of you know stand I out still for gotta them. watch both of those shows i love because i know i'll them. like them yeah yeah i really liked both of them um but anyway giving an ariana a television show she deserves it okay 100 um, percent Make her be like a villain foil for I don't know something like Natasha Leone on Poker Face. Would I haven't even watched Poker that. Face and I want to watch that. Would like, love that. Well, that's the thing about Poker Face is it's so episodic. Like throw she her can have in a an recurring episode. villain, like you know. No, but just like give her an episode. Just, where... Even like people who get one episode of Poker Face, it's like it's so much good stuff. Cherry Jones was fantastic in her episode. Judith Light and Esapetha Murkerson are fantastic in their episode. Like it's. Um, it's it's a good show. It's a really good show. Um, and Nina Arianda is in Win Win for like three scenes. She's the sort of she's the secretary with a little bit of tood, and she's just like you. I think with all of the smaller characters in this movie, you could like oh I could like I could do with more of this character. I would like to see like you know uh, uh, more of her or more of. Margot Martindale, the, you know, the uh, opposing attorney, or more of the other kids on the wrestling team, actually, who I think are all very, like, charming and adorable. What's his name? Uh, What's the character who wins the, who wins the draw? Uh, Stemler. Um, Stemler. That kid is so good. This is a movie where Margot Martindale gets to say shame on you, so you can't can't shit on it too much. Yeah. you know who has done TV that I didn't realize at all? Tom McCarthy. He's the creator of, wait for it, Alaska Daily. <laughs> I did not know that until I was doing my... But, like, yeah, Tom McCarthy is, like... The first thing I ever knew about Tom McCarthy is he was an actor in the cast of Boston Public. Like, that was right. sort of my very first experience of Tom McCarthy, is he's this, like, character actor who was in... Um, duplicity and like, and he was always sort of playing these like kind of sketchball, like, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's a guy in a suit who's trying to 
you know, uh, hustle you one way or another. I don't know. He's uh, he's a little bit of a little bit of a shitbag in a lot of these movies that he's in. <laughs> but he's a great director and and a great writer. He co-wrote this one with his friend from high school, Joe Taboni, who the story behind this movie is really interesting, actually. They were both on the wrestling team and uh in high school in New Providence, New Jersey, and Tom McCarthy wanted to make a movie about sort of their high school wrestling experience. And like Alex Schaefer, the kid in this movie, was a high school wrestler who answered a casting call for wrestlers who wanted to act in a movie. And it's just, it's a very kind of, um, I guess uh, McCarthy got a lot of the uh, like family life stuff for Mike's character from Joe Taboni, who is, uh, who has a family and that kind of thing. And it's an interesting it's one of those sort of classic, like, oh, I want to make a movie sort of pulled from my life, but it's a very kind of, you know, specific se- uh, setting with, like, small mm-hmm. small town New Jersey, high school wrestling, which feels like a little bit of, like, a niche subculture. But it's not like this subculture where, like, everybody's super psyched about watching the wrestling matches in this, you know, in this town. Mm -hmm. It's just sort of, you know, all the coaches are moonlighting from their day jobs, which (laughs) feels very true to life. Um, And like the kids are all like uh, the Alex Schaefer kid comes in and he's like, great. But everybody else is just sort of like, okay, you know, (laughs) and um. It's they're fun. all these scrawny little kids that like they're all on the, you know, the lower they don't weight have classes. a star athlete on this team right right yeah. right um, they don't they don't really have uh like muscle on this team mostly to speak of um I well, also feel like this is a very specific movie to the time it came out you know it feels very like if I think about movies about the recession like this is one mm, that I think of mm, um yeah. just in like the financial precarity of this very you know middle slash lower middle class uh family you know just trying Mm -hmm. to survive in jersey you know yeah Yeah. the like economic threat you know that poses someone like paul giamatti's character where he's running his own business and you know right supporting local people uh as their legal counsel but also like he's coaching to you know make a little extra money and at the the end of the movie you see and he's gotten this like bartending job at what looks like a applebee's maybe or something like that Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah 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 um which good for him Eating good in the I mean, neighborhood. It's it's very bittersweet because it's like what you have to go through to get there. It's like, sure, you know, he found a way to keep this, you know, his family, but also this expanding family, yeah, you know, together. But also that comes with compromise and it comes with you know sacrifice. Yeah. Um and like maybe we should live in an economy where you know people don't have to do things like to support their stop talking crazy full-time legal job and have to you know bartend on the evenings you know like imagine what the teachers of that school district have to deal with Um, i'm gonna ship you to cuba with your radical economic ideas (laughs) (laughs) you know my you you know uh, uh my uh labor supporting ideas yes um good movie 
should we get into the plot description? Maybe let's get into the plot description and then the get movie. into the specifics of it for sure. All right, yeah. let's 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 set some boilerplate. Listeners, Gary's, we're here talking about the motion picture Win Win, written and directed by Tom McCarthy, with a story credit also for his friend Joe Taboni. Movie stars Paul Giamatti, Amy Ryan. Excited to talk about Amy Ryan in this Me movie. Me too. Alex Schaefer, Bobby Cannavale, Burt Young, the great Burt Young, yeah. uh, spectacular in this movie, Jeffrey Tambor, we'll get into it, yeah. Melanie Linsky, Margot Martindale, and the great Nina Arianda. Love movie her. premiered at Sundance and then opened limited March 18th of 2011. Joe. Yes. Are you ready to give a 60-second plot description of Win Win? Sure, why not? All right, then your 60-second plot description of Win Win starts now. Paul Giamatti playing a sad sack? Groundbreaking. And this one, he's Mike, a small-town New Jersey lawyer with a tiny struggling practice that specializes in elder care. And his one client is Polly from Rocky, who has dementia, and a daughter who's in rehab and can't care for him. So Mike volunteers to be Polly's legal guardian, only he pockets the $1,500 a month and sticks Polly in an old folks home, which is textbook corruption and legit elder abuse, but put a pin in that for now. Meanwhile, Polly's affectless teen son, Kyle, comes to town, and Mike is and his wife, Jackie, take him in. And it turns out he's a wrestler, which is good for Mike, because Mike Moonlights as the coach of a high school wrestling team, so he enrolls Kyle in school, and Kyle's success at wrestling makes oh, Mike seconds. and his sad middle-aged friend Bobby Cannavale feel young and pur- purposeful again, and Kyle gets along well with Mike's family, and it's going great until Kyle's mom comes back to town and she wants to take care of her father again, which unravels Mike's elder abuse scam, and Kyle hates his mom for what she did as an addict, and his mom hates her father for what he did as a father, and Kyle and Jackie find out about Mike's elder abuse scam, and everybody's angry, but Mike is just kind of like, okay, I'll do the right thing now, and he sends the $1,500 a month to Kyle mom in exchange for Kyle staying with him for the rest of high school which I think he means which I think means he just bought a son from a drug addict but whatever everybody's happy with how things turned out so the end all right only 10 seconds over okay. all right let's get into this so let's get because you said elder abuse no uh, less than it's like elder abuse times. It is technically elder abuse. It's yes. not like elder abuse, like forcing Harrison Ford to do action stunts in an Indiana no. Jones movie so people no. can make $100 million. That's elder <laughs> abuse. Um, <laughs> yes, but he is also... It's you know, nice elder abuse. I know. That's the thing. It's nice elder abuse in a way that like we can f- not feel so bad about it. But like he's not a bad person. He's a person who takes a bad opportunistic thing in this movie. Here's here's my maybe here's the 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 nut of my dissatisfaction with this movie is the fact that Paul Giamatti's character on paper is committing elder abuse. He's pocketing $1500 a month to put Burt Young in an old folks home. There are ways in which that story on paper can be depicted like in 10 other movies, he'd be the bad guy, right? I do he wonder be, what the free Britney community thinks of this movie. He would be the shady lawyer who has stolen this man's stolen money, uh, you know, embezzled money essentially to, uh, and then stuck this person in an old folks home. And another movie might have depicted the old folks home as being really shabby and his experience there being kind of uh, traumatic. And, and in this movie, it's, a, f- a good old folks home and this guy's doing okay and he's not like suffering he just has dementia and can't live in his old house so like this movie takes a point to 
again, he's the he's he's doing elder abuse in a in a nice way, in a way that the audience can sympathize sympathize with. They and we flesh out the Giamatti character, and he's you know he's good to his family, he's good to Kyle, he's a complicated person, he takes shortcuts, he makes some bad decisions, but ultimately in the end it goes okay. He does still take care of Burt Young and see to Burt Young's care in you know. in a way that does in a not, way that is that illegal, makes it worth but... his while to still pocket this fifteen hundred dollars. But at the same time, then you have the Melanie Linsky character, uh, Kyle's mom, who is a drug addict and who has gotten out of rehab, so she's like gone into a program she's gotten her life sort of like fingernails on the edge of a cliff she's sort of holding on to whatever sort of sense of stability that she's found she comes into town she's she is not painted in the worst possible light there is that scene where she comes by the house and amy ryan who was all set to like kick the shit out of her because she hated her on paper sort of sees her and then kind of comforts her because she's a person with feelings and whatever but but still as the movie goes along she's the one who's like i deserve that money uh and and she's you know she's the obstacle that giamatti has to get past and kyle hates her, likely for very good and legitimate reasons. But in all the ways that the Giamatti character is painted, is given context and is given, you know, mitigating circumstances and is painted in a way that the audience will sympathize with him, the Linsky character is mostly painted as the obstacle, the antagonist, and like, a drug addict who, by the definition of the fact that she's a drug addict, is not a good mother and an opportunist and doesn't deserve the $1,500 in a way that we kind of think that Giamatti is more deserving of that $1,500 through the language of the movie. I, and- I would argue the movie is a little bit more generous to her than... Not much. I, I I do though because I think she is painted this way before we meet her and then we when we meet her we respond to her in the way that Amy Ryan does to her that it's like oh yes when she is this abstract person it's so much easier to be like she's bad but then when you have her in front of her this is the Tom McCarthy thing that like Tom McCarthy does make space for attempting to understand that character. So like I think it's a little bit more generous to her because it gives her more of that space. Than... It's a little bit generous to her. It's a lot generous to him, is all I'm saying. I think there is an imbalance. And maybe that's a natural imbalance of a protagonist versus a side character. I but... think that maybe some of that imbalance is that we believe Kyle when he describes his experience with his mother and the bad experiences we have. Sure. I feel like yes. maybe, if anything, the movie is on Kyle's. Maybe if we got a little bit more of a window into exactly what I don't need the kid to like give a laundry list of all the bad things because like you can you you can draw some lines and you can extrapolate some things. But I don't know. I, I it's not like a huge problem. It doesn't make me hate the movie. But watching the movie again, I like movies. There's no bigger compliment that I can give a movie to say that it's generous to its characters because like I really really value that in a movie that like tries to take the perspective of as many characters as possible. And I think this movie moves a little bit in that direction and then 
only will go so far. And ultimately, at the end of the day, she wants the money. She seems to want the money more than she wants the kid. You know what I mean? Sure. And that is not like the audience. She doesn't want those terms. The term she's expecting if she doesn't get the money. Right. You know? Right. And there are people like that. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I'm not sort of, I'm not, I'm not saying that. But I also feel like there, there are, are people, people like that from Ohio. Like, but there are also people who pocket old people's money and put them in old folks' homes. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's right. all I'm saying is that, like, his you character. Think that it, it, it is, it, it is questioning of her. Even if you even if you see some generosity in her direction, you think that it asks harder questions of her than it asks of Paul Giamatti. It lets him off the hook in a way that it does not let her off the hook. Is is how I would probably put that. Not to a degree that I hate the movie, but just I'm just saying that like that that nagged at me watching it this time in a way that I don't think it nagged at me the first time. So, um, but anyway. I also think a lot of that is Linsky's so good in this movie in such a small role. I mean, role. I mean, the, the living legend. Uh, love her. Love, love, I, love I her. do feel like when you have someone like Margot Martindale looking Paul, Gian, Paul Giamatti in the eye of all of this and sure. shame on you, sure, I sure. do think that does do some heavy lifting. Sure, sure. He's momentarily him, chasing. Uh, being yes. told you've yes. done a really bad thing. Yes. Like, who among us would not crumble to ash uh, if Margot Martindale looked us in the eye and said, shame on you? But she um, says that in the midst of a conversation that is essentially giving him everything that he wants, you know, sure. at the end of the movie. Um, but also... But giving him everything he wants, but then he still ultimately still has to make a sacrifice. That is true. That is true. And she He's... gets everything she wants, too. Right. And has to make a sacrifice in in that way. So, so yes, you're right. Um, I don't, again, I don't think this is, I don't think this is a movie with bad intentions. I don't think this is a movie that tells a bad story. I'm just saying that was a thing that nagged at me. A thing that did not nag at me was anything involving Amy Ryan. Because I think Amy Amy Ryan Ryan is is A plus the best thing about this movie. And I thought that then and I thought it performance. Oh, I think so. I would have nominated her for win-win. I think she's on my ballot if you look at my ballot. Um, she rules in this and it's all and it's and it's one of those roles where it's like i could have actually done with her being in more of the movie i wanted a little bit more of her after we find after everybody finds out about the scam that mm-hmm. mike is pulling i wanted a one more scene of her and Kyle because I loved all the scenes of her yeah. with Kyle, them and yeah. them, her showing him her John Bon Jovi tattoo, <laughs> JBJ. Um, I'm a Jersey girl. <laughs> um, them, sh- them grocery shopping. Like I felt like they have such a really good rapport, and it feels like after the reveal is made about what Mike has been doing with the $1,500. Those are the two characters who have been sort of most betrayed by Mike in that moment. And I wanted them to have a, like, it would be natural that they would have a moment to sort of like talk that over because they had been so close. And I wanted that scene, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And also because like, she'd been knocking everything out of the park in this movie. She's, you know, all of those scenes where she's talking about how she's going to kick, you know, kick his mom's ass because, you know, she's <laughs> so furious that a that a mother would uh, wouldn't do right by her son in that way. But she's like, it's that sort of like again, it's that sort of Jersey girl uh, uh, nest to her, while also being like, 
a mom. A she has such mom energy with Kyle, and and it's so kind of lovely. And I also she's love a, her. Go ahead. I was just going to say she's also just an interesting character because, like, she's even skeptical of Kyle at first. Much of yeah, the she's skeptical. Going to lock him in the basement he, all like, night. She she's quick to like defend and you know think uber rationally to a point but then when she's faced with an actual human you know things become more complicated and you know i think that's also a hard thing to play because you know that character could be played in a way that's just like bananas of being wishy-washy or something and i think amy ryan makes it you know human and complex in a way yeah um that the movie is all the better for you know It's also the fact that in 9 out of 10 movies, that role is the most thankless role. It's the and the most annoying. It's it's Catherine Keener in Captain Phillips, right? It's it's you know, uh, it's she might as well be on the phone, you know what I mean? Because all she's doing is being at home and nagging at the husband because the water bill is late. And, you know, uh, uh, I've got two kids to take care of. I can't take care of another kid. You know, that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And McCarthy draws this character with such specificity and agency. And I love that. And she, she like, and she rewards that, that writing with a really good performance. And And she's very, very funny too. And she's so funny. She's so funny. She's so warm. She's so, um, feisty in a lot of ways. I know feisty is one of those compliments that doesn't sound like a compliment. You know what I mean? That's that's. But I just I don't know. It's she, I you mean, know what she reminds playing me of a very. I mean, a lot of these characters are you know the aim of what Tom McCarthy does in his movies is creating these people that you can actually like you you know these people you see yeah. people like this in your everyday life, but like making them compelling in a movie is a very very difficult. Thing, yeah. like that averageness whereas here they find ways to make it interesting and i think she, she, she reminds in that me way, she's the best performance in the movie yeah she reminds me of amy madigan and field of dreams in a lot of ways <laughs> and that is if you know me a giant the compliment, compliment the highest compliment i fucking love amy madigan and in, in field of dreams one of my favorite performances and that's another one where she could have just been the you know honey we're late on the bills and she has those scene where it's like honey we're late on the bills but it's also she believes in this dumb you know uh, uh baseball park thing and she you know uh, gets a lot of gets you know a lot of wonderment around out of out of the players and when James Earl Jones comes they sort of you know connect in their little way and and it's it's a wonderful and she has that great scene with the the school board where she I have to I have to call you out though because you didn't select Amy Madigan for I know. 100 snubs I know I should have what the fuck is wrong with you I don't know you don't I even think know yourself anymore No I think I had picked I think that was the same year as Shirley MacLaine for Steel Magnolias, so I I I I had to make a choice. I'm positive that we have not really had a conversation. Uh, certainly not as many conversations as we've had about Amy Madigan and Field of Dreams. It's true. It's true. Listen, Chris, you're not allowed to weeks later 
get on my case about this. Call you out. Choices you to we, the floor. You know how many hard choices there were to make in selecting that one hundred. You Gary, know it's time to bring Joe to the red table. Oh my god. The betrayal. <laughs> Wait, what if one of our excursions episodes for Patreon is just the red table? And we each talk? bring each other to the red table for a <laughs> Call slight each other that... out on trivial things. Yes. We should I don't do know. That. What trivial thing are you calling me out on? Oh, I'll figure out something. Boy, <laughs> don't you don't you worry about it. I'll figure Just out you wait, something. Henry Higgins. Just you uh, wait. <laughs> uh, you know who's also really good in this movie? Alex Schaefer. Alex Schaefer. This kid, not an actor, is so good. And like, yeah, not an actor, which maybe is kind of why like the performance is good because you know you get sure. someone who's like repped by CAA or right. WME or something in this movie, and it becomes right. very child star performance. But like at the same time, he gives this performance that is, you know, a unicorn in movies, which is mm-hmm. conceivable non annoying teenager. Like yeah. this is just like a, an average teen who talks like a teen acts like a teen he justifies these character choices that you know without overselling it like and he's funny can i tell you how many nominations he got for like best younger actor throughout that entire zero right it's It's fucking zero and it's so dumb hold on a second ran the table with those performances i want to call out the critics choice so give me a second to look up the critics choice is this the year that they're nominating like adelix or copolos for like young performer she she wasn't she wasn't for another couple years but hold on critics choice award for best young performer 2011 get ready critics choice awards i'm about to rip you a new a-hole um bring him to the red table (laughs) okay all right okay 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 Oh, there's a lot to go on here. Okay, oh, there are some no. good ones here. The the defensible probably ones. Shailene Woodley. Shailene Woodley for the Descendants. We'll sure. Get into it. Saoirse for Hannah. Hannah. Um, that movie rules, and she rules Chemical in it. Michael Brothers robbed. Say what you will about Ezra Miller. They were very good, and we need to talk about Kevin. So it was a thing. Al Fanning and Super Eight. Okay. Fine. She cries. Asa Butterfield and Hugo. I I like Asa Butterfield on a global level, on a like overall level. Really? Yeah. He's good in that sex education show. Um, oh, I don't watch that show. Hugo is maybe not. But again, he's the lead of a Scorsese movie. I get it. I'm rewatching a bunch of Scorsese's. I have to watch Hugo. I have only seen Hugo one time. It is one of my least favorite. Uh, uh, before rewatch, I will yeah. say it's one of my least favorite Scorsese's. Even the though winner, though. It's not bad. It's just, it's fine. The winner, beating all of them, is the kid from Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. <laughs> Who I'm not even going to name because I don't want to like be mean to a child who or to sure. whatever. He's not a child anymore. It's been 12 years, but still. Um, so I can find I can think of at least one person who Alex Schaefer could have been in this category. But like I put him ahead of Elle Fanning and Super 8. I've loved Elle Fanning in a lot of things, but like she was fine in Super 8. But I, I think Schaefer's more I put more him ahead impressive. of all of those performances. I think Sersha in Hana. And Ezra Miller, and we need to talk about Kevin, are, like, top tier for me. But Schaefer's up there. 
Sure, sure. Like, those two should be in there. I feel like... I don't know. Maybe I need to rewatch We Need to Talk About Kevin because when I first saw it, it was with all of this talk of, like, this revolutionary new star who's great and such a presence. And I felt like, to the movie's benefit, Kevin is more of a construct and it's more about... Tilda's character, but like we'll eventually talk about that movie. As a construct, they delivered exactly what that movie needed. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My thing with somebody like Ezra Miller, whatever, I don't want to get too into like, you know teen stars. No, I don't want to get into art versus separate the art from the artist. But I do think there's a tendency with a lot of t- a lot of times to sort of look back through whatever the opposite of rose colored glasses are and be like they weren't that good they were never that good the I'm people who are like good. i'm saying i that was not that performance was not the thing i was talking about when talking about that movie sure 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 all right but anyway yes alex Schaefer absolutely deserved to be near the top of that list is what i will say so um Great performance, standing toe-to-toe with Oscar nominees and not breaking a sweat. Did you know also that he had, that in real life, Alex Schaefer injured his back shortly before Win Win came out and, like, had to stop wrestling? Like, could not uh, wrestle anymore? His wrestling career uh, was cut short by a back injury? Isn't that sad? Wrestling is a scary sport to just ask children to do. Hey there, all you Bon Jovi stands. We are here to interrupt for a quick moment. Chris and I are to talk about the Vulture Movie Fantasy League, which is up and running for 2023. JBJ stands for just be jumping into the episode. <laughs> just by what's a movie that starts with J this year? Um, Jumanji 3. Jumanji 3. If there's Jumanji 3 out there, you better grab it. You better Joker folie adieu. Not till next year, my friends. <laughs> Joker so. folie adieu. I never learned French. Anyway, God, there's going to be keep so going. many Joker names for the for the <gasps> league next year for <gasps> team names. I know. I, I know. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Um, uh, listeners, if you, are, uh, if you are fans of this podcast, you already know we are very, very big on the Vulture Movie Fantasy League. Uh, the 2023 edition is up and running. We launched uh, back in August, and you are clear and good to go draft your team at any point from now until September 28th, I will say. And this is one of the things that has borne out in the last couple weeks. It may behoove you to uh, to wait a little bit before you draft. We are not trying to prevent people who want to sign up from signing up right away. We love that enthusiasm, and um, you should go for it. But what I will say is sometimes movies like Dune Part 2 move to 2024, and they leave people who drafted them very sad, and it's a bummer. Um, we are in a particularly unusual year where a dual strike in the industry is leaving studios to rather than pay people what they're worth and settle the strike they're deciding to move movies to 2024 like little cowardly baby studios even when they have a six-week imax exclusive run 
Is Taylor Swift just jumping into those IMAX screens? Is that what's going to happen? What's going to happen there? Well, it, it, Taylor Swift opens about a month before Dune was supposed to. So right. technically, no. If anything, Should we do she like a will live... be eating Martin Scorsese's IMAX lunch. Oh, God. Um, Should we do like already a live the Exorcist, had Oscar which buzz? the Exorcist moved. This had Oscar buzz on IMAX um, uh, to, to fill those dates. Uh, sure, sure. Just uh, the audio. You and me as big as an IMAX screen. You I do can't not even... need the sounds yeah. of our annoying gay voices really coming at you, you really in Dolby don't. Atmos IMAX. I guess the point about Dune Part 2, though, is, is that some movies this year are subject to release date changes, and there really isn't a whole ton we can do about it, except to say that... The longer you wait and compile your information, the more information there will be to compile. But do not wait too long. Do not wait till past September 28th. You won't be able to participate, and it's going to be very fun to participate. What you do is, if you have not played, and by the way, if you want to know the full rules and regs and everything that's going on, you can go to vulture.com slash movies dash league is the page that will give you all of the rules and regulations, the prizes you can win. But essentially, the nutshell is you draft a roster of eight movies that will open from now until the end of the year. You collect points based on box office if that movie opens after September 28th or awards. If then that those will count for all movies Rotten Tomato scores. There's a whole lot of ways you can collect points from now until Oscar night. Uh, it was a very fun time last year. I think it will be very fun this year. If you go to vulture.com slash movies dash league, you can check out the, you can find a link to my draft kit where I have exhaustively previewed a whole <laughs> bunch of movies, including where I did mention in the Dune blurb that there was talk of it moving off of the release schedule. So I did try and warn people as much as possible um, and yet some people live dangerously listen and we we respect the people who live dangerously and we hope that the rest of your movies will score enough points to compensate um one movie that i think will end up scoring quite a few points at least on the box office end we mentioned taylor swift uh the eras tour movie is coming to theaters in october we we quickly added it to the list of draftable films because it is going to make bank. It was crashing AMC ticketing sites. Um, we What's expect the buy sold out screenings. Five dollars, uh, five dollars, uh, mostly because it's going to be a big, big box office play. It has almost zero chances of scoring awards just because concert documentaries don't get awards. Even the really, really great ones. Like, I can't remember the last time that a concert movie got nominations for anything. Woodstock. Yeah, seriously. Uh, And on top of that, Taylor Swift herself does not get Oscar nominations, even for things that you would think would be more in the Oscars wheelhouse. She's bouncing Um, from category to category, man. Next year, she is going to have an ASC membership. She will be a cinematographer on something. She is going to be editing the new, um, uh, I don't know, Spider-Verse movie, something. She's going to be, she's working. She's working her tail off, and she's going to get that Oscar nomination by hook or by crook. But anyway, um, we have added that. So if you want to prove your Swifty bona fides and, and draft a Taylor Swift movie, then that's fine. If you want to draft Barbie to show that you're a true blue, true pink, I guess, 
uh, Barbie stand. If you want to draft Dicks the Musical for $1, which a lot of people have been doing, actually. That's our most popular sort of bargain bargain bin. I think people just want to have Dicks the Musical on their roster, which, God if bless. anybody can come up with, like, an all-pink roster type, oh. or, like, an uh, a full, like, Thematic Barbie girl power lineup. experience of something yeah. like that, you know, where you're Dicks, drafting Barbie, not Dicks, uh, Barbie Bottoms, Barbie Bottoms, Joyride, yeah, Taylor yeah, yeah. Swift. Taylor Swift, right, exactly. I love it. Um, yeah, I fully approve of that. Megan, of course. Um, the only. That's I'm that's saying. if you have a full gay roster. You're drafting I mean, Megan, you're sure. drafting the Andrew Hay. Right, you're drafting that is true. Dick's the musical. That is true. All queer. Listen, if you want to, you have one roster. We have not uh, moved into the realm of people being able to draft multiple rosters, unfortunately. Uh, Perhaps that will be down the line in future years. But uh, you only have one roster to play with. So if you want to do something silly with it, God bless you. If you want to be a hardcore gamer, you can also do that. Um, If you want to wait until the festival uh, roundup is about closed, we are currently at TIFF. TIFF is going on as this episode drops. You want to wait until after the festival? That's cool. If you want to live dangerously, do it now. The good thing is you have two weeks to either gamify the system to get your best possible roster that you think will get you those points. Or if you want to be silly, you can be silly, too. It's a free world, free world, free life. Uh, you get one and you do what you want with it. All right. However, um, what we can do is we can have all of the Garys sign up together as a this, league. Joe, tell this. them how they can do this. Yeah. So there is an option when you sign up for your team. Uh, you Before you select your movies, you put in your name and your email address. And then you put in, it's optional, but you can put in a league name. And so what that allows you to do is when the scores are posted, you can toggle a little toggle button and you can look at how your scores are doing relative to everybody else who has signed up for the same league as you. And so all of the This Head Oscar Buzz listeners, we are uh, giving you a little tap on the shoulder and saying, if you want to compete with all the other Garys, we are giving you the league name of all of us Garys. That is all one word, no spaces. Uh, A-L-L-O-F-U-S-G-A-R-Y-S. No punctuation, no spaces, no nothing silly, no nothing fancy or funny. All of us Garys. Capital letters at the first letter of each word. Yeah. I don't think it's going to matter, but just to be on the safe side. I always err, err on the side of caution, as we always say. Um, and then you can compete with the other Garys and you can compete with us and it'll be a good and fun time. And we can see whom does better than whom, right? And who does better than whom? Mm? Whom? Mm? I'm spiraling. All right. E? No. Um, well, I turned into an owl of Gahul there. What's going on? Um, anyway, Vulture Movie Fantasy. This had Oscar buzz sponsored by Tootsie Roll. a three um yeah uh that's about it if you can tell we are on the eve of leaving for tiff as we record this so we are slap happy and punch drunk and i have to be uh, awake for my flight in like four hours yeah chris has got to wake up in an ungodly hour and i still have to pack so we are going to leave you with the encouragement to sign up for the vulture movie fantasy league to join up with the Garys under the league name All of Us Garys, no spaces, and uh, be careful of what are the other big movies you should we should we're we're saying maybe be wary of. You think Aquaman is going to move? You think Aquaman? I've been saying move. Aquaman is going to move for months. You have my feeling is 
because of the everything that's gone on with the DC universe that Warner Brothers wants Aquaman off of its books as soon as possible. <laughs> They're going to make it a red box original if they can. They are going to boot that thing off the side of a boat if they can and just let it drown in the briny deep. Um, they, I don't think they want to push that movie to 2024 if they can at all help it. They can have an empty red carpet for all they care. They're going to get that movie off of their hands is my feeling three months and there's not even a teaser poster uh and i think it could have been pushed by the time that this airs that's true maybe we should make a side bet for that if aquaman gets pushed i owe chris ten dollars um uh wonka i've heard sort of floated around as a push possibility i think if that was going to happen it probably would have already been announced but don't take my word for anything um listen by the time you listen to this, God willing, maybe there's been some positive progress on the strikes and everybody's uh, maybe in a better mental position. Who knows? Hope springs eternal. Regardless, sign up for the Vulture Movie Fantasy League. Draft yourself a team. Hopefully they all open in 2023 and we're all uh, very happy and competitive through Oscar night. And we will send you back to your regularly scheduled win-win with a hearty slap on the on, on your head. ear. Back to wrestling practice. Send you back into the ring. All right, bye. I mean, yeah, it is. It all the thing of them that I thought watching this movie was, it's 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 wild that this is a thing that we have high school boys do in a way that like puts their aggression on front street and then and then asks them to like just accept the fact that like another person bested them in physical hand-to-hand combat which you would think like my conception of teenage boys is just egos the that are like frail like like uh parchment paper and untamed emotions and, but then, but having this like organized structure where like one can like legitimately say to another one, like, I bested you in physical combat. And yet, I also imagine there is probably something beneficial to giving high school boys a structured uh, a- avenue to get that aggression out in a, you know, healthy way, in a controlled way. Healthy right? maybe psychological, but they're rolling around on the ground. Oh, sure, like, sure, 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 sure. Like, no, you know, I, but I mean, I, yeah, I'm like, I'm talking psychological, I guess, in this way. Sure. But in like, but then again, also like, this is why I one of my like jump scares is when like on the timeline there's a wrestling video or something because I will scroll <laughs> past it as quickly as when I see a video for a snake because you think because... it's going to be like an injury like world well in like the early injuries. days of the internet it was yeah. like ha 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 wrestling industry watch wrestling injury watch this kid's arm get snapped isn't yeah. that funny yeah no it, yeah. it's not I yeah. don't want to watch someone get their arm broken or something you know yeah so yeah. It's like how every few weeks my YouTube recommends will just throw in like 24-hour live coverage of 9/11 and it's like why are you what 
what what in my history of like watching marble races on YouTube has told you that I'm going to want to watch the 24 hours of news coverage of 9/11 you fucking lunatic app like and it's Jesus not Christ. just the the video of the camera that pans from the twin towers uh in travesty and then it pans to a subway poster of glitter <laughs> is there a video that, that does that that is a great gif i've never um, seen that that's amazing you've never seen that okay i'll no. find it and i'll send it to you um also the thing about sports because like this is maybe the thing in the movie that i was like oh god this is just like such an anger trigger for me uh-huh. it's just like high school sports a setting where people are just okay with a grown-ass adult screaming at a room of children yeah like, yes this is apparently okay in our culture to just do that um However, in Win-Win, it's ironic because it's Paul Giamatti and not Jeffrey Tambor screaming at a room full of people. That's true. Uh, <laughs> All right, I have two I have two things to say about that. One, high school boys are the worst and sometimes deserve to get yelled at. Two, Jeffrey Tambor is funny in this movie. Like that, I don't know. It's uh, one of my things with sports and high school sure, sports. I sure, just don't, sure, sure. I don't think that that should be okay. That's, you know... Okay. All right. Uh, what about Jeffrey Tambor, though? He's very funny in this movie. <laughs> he's not in it that much. He's though. not. He's not. He gets like those like very quintessential Jeffrey Tambor laughs in this movie. Yeah. Especially yeah. for this time period. But maybe he's, I remembered him being in it more. But like he's once the Bobby third Kamalale coach becomes the other coach. But I think know. that makes Tambor even funnier because then he becomes like the more like. The most flat-footed one, yeah. right? Exactly. That's a good. That's a good way of putting that. And like, I, 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 you hate to say it because like he does seem to be in real life like a real asshole, yeah. but um, he's very funny in this. I'm sorry. I have to. I, I have to speak my truth. So, um, I mean that this was the time when he was coming up because like he got to do those type of jokes and yeah. such. Uh, we haven't talked about Giamatti, which is part of the reason why we're here mm-hmm. talking about this for the show, even though throughout this season, this movie was most successful as a screenplay contender. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll get into that. And I definitely want to talk about, you know, the Fox Searchlight of 2011 right. spectrum and how this movie clearly got knocked down a Back few pegs in their priorities. Yeah. But Paul Giamatti... Back this year with uh, an Alexander Payne reunion, mm-hmm. and we didn't have him in our hundred snubs because I chose Gael Garcia Bernal over him. Oh, oh, oh! Now we're gonna just not let. No, 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 no! It's a good call. It's a good call. I feel much more passionately about that performance than I do Giamatti in Sideways. I, but like, wait, in no, the culture, no, no, no! I'm not no. This is, you gave me such fucking shit not 10 minutes ago about no, my you choice. you should have given me shit if I pulled Paul Giamatti instead of Gael Garcia Bernal because I loved that performance so much. I was what? also having fun. Whatever. Whatever. Even that again in Field of Dreams is like quintessential Joe Reed performance. Sorry, I'm going to go and pick the hardest IMDb game for you today just because <laughs> you've annoyed me. That's fine, that's fine, that's fine. All right. Um... But in the culture, I think in terms of acting snubs, Paul Giamatti for Sideways is considered one of the big, biggest in the past, you know, 
20, 25 years. The craziest thing about Paul Giamatti not being nominated for Sideways, beyond the fact that it was... I mean, Johnny Depp was never not going to get nominated for Finding Neverland because it was the Halo nomination the year after Pirates of the Caribbean. But, like, it's crazy to see the, the caliber of some of the performances. Even, like... I think Clint Eastwood is good in Million Dollar Baby, but like, come on. I think John well, Cheadle is good. The, he's the one that, you know, it's interesting that Million Dollar Baby, we talk about it as kind of, you know, eating the aviator's lunch. But it. I think the person who's, you know, most got sideswiped by the presence of Million Dollar Baby suddenly dropping into the race is Paul Giamatti. Yeah, yeah. Also, the like Don Cheadle... In Hotel Rwanda, who I also think is like good, but like not as good as Giamatti was in Sideways. Um, the other th- the thing about Sideways is he's such a central presence to that movie. It's right. just wild that that movie gets picture and director nominations, in addition to supporting actor and supporting actress. And everybody gets nominated almost for that movie, except for Paul Giamatti. Like it's yeah. it's it's weird that that there's that sort of hole at the middle of that. Um, he did win the Independent Spirit Award that year as yes. as uh, okay. So. so Paul Giamatti was never in danger. It was like never a threat to win the Oscar, but it was largely seen as him running at a somewhat distant second place to Jamie Foxx. Yeah. Jamie Foxx was so far ahead in that year. Yes. Not only did his performance in Ray pull up Collateral, a full leading performance into a supporting nomination, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jamie Foxx gets a uh, Best Actor at the Indie Spirit nomination for Joe. Do you have the title pulled up for me? I don't. I'm pretty sure this movie was like a cable it i think it debuted somewhere at like sundance or something but ultimately i think was placed on cable is that the one because he had that year he had gotten three nominations at the golden globes so i one of them was for television so it was probably for this thing that you're talking about um let's see 2004 television um hold on Yes, Redemption, the Stan Tukey Williams story. I'm going to pull this up and see where it would have debuted. But, like, Jamie Foxx was so far ahead this year that it was like, we need to give him everything that we can. Yeah. Um, the, it was, I think... It was it, a Sundance movie. I will say Redemption, yeah. If we're just before we get... It was a Sundance movie, but then it did uh, debut on fx so it aired on fx in american television but yeah you're right about the jamie fox thing jamie fox good actor hope we get more actor jamie fox and less movie star jamie fox because like i'm not begrudging movie star jamie fox anything but like what about voice what about voice actor jamie fox Currently, I'm not seeing strays. You could not pay me to see strays. It's in theaters now as we uh, as we record this. I thought you were my friend who was like, strays looks good. Somebody I was talking to was like, strays no, looks good. No, okay. are you joking? Okay. Somebody I know out there, you're listening. You've said strays looks good. They're going to bite the guy's dick off. What, am I, what, 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 what can I tell you? Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. In retrospect, he it was does not just seem mercy, to be a thing. That movie that went 
exactly know where. Did you see Just Mercy? Because I, I saw it at that TIFF. Yeah, didn't. Was it good? He's the best thing about it. Okay. He's the lawyer, or he's the one on death row. He's the one on death row. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Um, Paul Giamatti, though. Paul, Paul Giamatti. Giamatti. This the snub is the snub heard around the world so significant that they give him the retribution the next year. Yeah, I was going to say by carrying Cinderella man, the like very labored, you're going to love this movie. We promise you, uh, what do we have to do uh, to get you to love this movie? We're not going to harm this kitten. If they re-released it, right? Didn't they re-release it? They re-released Cinderella Man, and then they got in, like, a scheme with, like, AMC, where it's like, if you don't like the movie, we'll give you your money back. And, you know, it, oh, man. it, it was just like, just just take your licks and move on. It guys. did seem that way, though. It did seem that, like, we are, Paul Giamatti, we are going to load up the sort of battered husk of Cinderella Man onto your back and you are going to carry this movie's awards chances over the finish line. And he nearly won the Oscar that he year. Did. He, he did. came very because close. He won SAG and Critics' Choice. He's very good in the movie, but like he's Paul Giamatti. He's very rarely not that good. There is a world in which George Clooney's many nominations in 2005 for producing and directing and writing Good Night and Good Luck. Um, pull enough of his awards votes away that Giamatti does win Best Supporting Actor for Cinderella Man, which would be just the strangest case of giving somebody an Oscar for fully a different movie altogether. Like, um, would have been interesting as a footnote, I will say, particularly because in retrospect, George Clooney's Siriana nomination feels more and more like vapor in the wind every time i think about it even when i think about siriana there are like multiple performances in that movie i think are better than clooney clooney's not bad in that movie but like alexander siddig is more interesting in that movie and matt damon i think is more emotionally affecting in that movie than than clooney is and clooney got the oscar for the story of all those nominations and also Mm -hmm. for the like he gained weight being which, George Clooney but also like remember how like the weight gain story like felt almost like yeah. perfunctory it was like well he also gained weight so we should you know probably and it's like <laughs> okay and he got naked that's true that is true, true. Clooney who didn't normally get naked in movies did it uh, for his art we saw his side butt we don't see the full butt in that movie we'd already seen his full butt in Solaris that's true, but nobody saw Solaris. So when we see, when Solaris you say is good. when you say we saw his butt in Solaris, you're talking about you <laughs> and a very small group of people. So. Was there a gay Mister Skin? Because if there was, I'm pretty sure people on the in, on the early internet saw his butt in Solaris. Miss um, Miss Skin, <laughs> Miss Skin, honey, Miss Skin, touch all of Miss Skin. Welcome to the stage, Miss Skin. Uh. But Paul Giamatti, you know, I feel like this, you know, Sideways was such a huge platform for him. He'd been a character actor uh, up to that point, and he'd had some, like, sort of major roles. But it gets to the point where it's like, he's an Emmy winner for John Adams. And, right. Uh, remember the Barney's version globe that he won? I do. 
Which, the 2010 Golden Globes are the weirdest goddamn thing, and we've talked about it before. So but strange. So it's strange. Double Johnny Depp. Who else is nominated? Hold on. Hold, please. Because this is the year of the tourist, everybody, you know, remember and love the tourist. Mm, indeed. Um, Noted comedy, the tourist. Uh, yeah, double Johnny Depp for Alec, uh, Alice in Wonderland and the tourist. Jake Gyllenhaal for Love and Other Drugs, which is why we've talked about this before, because we've done that. By the way, the recent spate of movies about uh, Purdue Pharma and the Sacklers and the Oxycontin <laughs> epidemic that I've watched lately... Um, have put love and other drugs in a completely different light where now I watch a movie like that. And I'm like, you fucking scumbag. Like you deserve nothing in life. Like, you know, pharma sales are the tool of the devil. And, uh, I don't know. Um, very, very that being anti- said, Jake Gyllenhaal wouldn't have been a horrible winner for that because then the other nominee is Kevin Spacey in casino Jack. Yeah, it's a it's a cursed it's a pretty cursed category. Um, I probably yeah. would of these five have voted for Jake Gyllenhaal in Love and Other Drugs. Um, I've never seen Barney's version. No, I've never seen it. Who directed that movie? Um, Richard J. Maybe Lewis. We have to do Barney's version. Barney's version, Taylor's version. Um, <laughs> Barney's version is directed by uh, Richard J. Lewis who's mostly done television um, yeah. uh, most recently let's see Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist a deeply annoying show um, yeah he's mostly a TV director Westworld episodes 28 episodes, oh no that's a, as a producer I hate when IMDB puts producer credits before directing credits for people who are primarily directors, what the fuck? Um, yeah, six episodes of Westworld, five episodes of A Million Little Things, which I believe was that show on ABC. Um, Twelve episodes of Person of Interest, 44 episodes of CSI. So, yeah, he's the CSI director. There we go. Okay, we're saying this after reactions from Telluride would have happened for this movie. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the movie's about to show up at TIFF. Essentially sight unseen about Paul Giamatti. Where do you think his chances are this year? I feel like because it's him reuniting with Alexander Payne, you know, that automatically is going to cast him in a light of... There's going to be a lot of remember sideways stories, which I think points in his favor. I think the pairing with Alexander Payne is tricky because Alexander Payne has some Me Too remnant stuff that hasn't been fully dealt with. And it'll be very interesting to see how uh, they decide to proceed with that. Um, But the trailer looks good. I'm excited to see the movie. I think... A, I think Paul Giamatti is one of those actors who's worked with everybody. People seem to really like him. And in the absence of a stronger campaign elsewhere, like, I can easily see Killian Murphy getting nominated for Oppenheimer. I think it's less likely he wins. I think the win momentum in that movie is going to be more towards Robert Downey Jr. I know, and I think so much so that it's going to potentially deflate Killian Murphy's 
chances, which sucks because he's so long as he gets nominated, I'll be happy. Um, I think DiCaprio for Killers of the Flower Moon. There's he's already won, so I don't think there's going to be a ton of momentum for him to win. Who are who are the other big contenders in Best Actor? Coleman Domingo uh, and Coleman Rustin. Domingo. I would love. I just need that movie to be a big enough, have a big enough impact mm-hmm. for that to carry through. Thus far, Netflix has only gotten one acting Oscar, correct? Lord Earn. Uh, yes, I believe that's right. Netflix is very good at getting director Oscars, but acting Oscars, I don't think they've won many. Yeah, just that Side one. Lord I Dern, I can't. Rem- I can't think of one off the top of my head. No one from Power of the Dog. No one from Mank. It's oh my god! It, it's already crazy, but in twenty years, it's going to be so weird that no acting Oscars went to Power of the Dog. That movie still slaps. Yeah. That's true. All right. Um, yeah, I will be certainly very much looking. Wait, let me just take a quick gander at what Gold Derby is saying about the best actor race. <laughs> Bradley Cooper, but we saw how that went the last time you directed. Oh, right, the movie. Bradley There's Cooper in my around that performance. That I'm fascinated by everything about that. Absolutely everything about that. Okay, so the current odds on Gold Derby right now, Killian Murphy is best odds, followed by DiCaprio, Cooper, Coleman Domingo, Paul Giamatti, Barry Keoghan for Saltburn, interesting, Joaquin for Napoleon, uh, Teo Yu for uh, Past Lives, we're, we're already getting into long shot territory here now. Kingsley Did you Benadir, say Adam Driver for Ferrari. Adam Driver for Ferrari. They have listed as eighty five to one, just behind Kingsley Benadir for Bob Marley, One Love. Um, and then they've got hundred to one for. Uh, oh, did that get pushed to twenty twenty four? The Bob I Marley. I think one? it's coming out in January. Well, I mean, we all know what that means. That it's yeah. coming out in January. So if they think that it's right, good they'll and sneak they have it. Shot, they'll sneak they'll, it. You know. And then Jay Baruchel, they've got at a hundred to one for Blackberry, which would be adorable. That's, I don't see it happening, but like that's not real. That's cute. I love Jay Baruchel. Um, so yeah, right now they've got Giamatti listed as fifth behind those four, four people we said: Killian Murphy, Leo DiCaprio, Bradley Cooper, Coleman Domingo. So that's an interesting race right there. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm always in favor of talking about more people at this time of the year. I'm not really interested in narrowing the race at this point. So, um, uh, you know, Andrew Scott in All of Us Strangers is somebody that's one I that I think is kind of laying in wait. That by I've now heard, people by the time I've this heard airs, good people things. Have seen this. I've heard like, very good things about that movie. Um, Andrew Scott's worked with a lot of people. Yeah, he's a very respected actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, lots going on. Lots to talk about. Um, all right, what else should we get into? We uh, talked about Amy Ryan. Amy Ryan coming sort of, again, uh, four years after her big awards breakthrough for Gone Baby Gone. What was she up to at this point in her career? Give me a second. The Office. Oh, The Office. Right. Mm -hmm. She was so... Her character was so fucking popular on The Office. People loved her. Her and Steve Carell have good chemistry. They do. They have very good chemistry. This was around the time that... 
I was starting to wane on The Office, but like she was a good jolt of energy. The thing about The Office, and I'm far from the first person to say this, but like at some point, which is a thing that happens to all popular sitcoms, I think popular network sitcoms especially, is they become they belong to the shippers at some point. And so The Office became a show about Jim and Pam, Michael and Holly, Andy, the like the weird triangle with Ellie Kemper's character and and um and Andy Bernard and, and uh Dwight. And like this is what happened to obviously Friends. This is what happened to I guess not really Parks and Recreation, although Parks and Recreation became very coupley with like Leslie and Ben and um Aubrey Plaza and Chris Pratt's characters. And it's one of the things that makes me wary about Abbott Elementary is the second season was so focused on um finished the second season. It was so focused on that that budding romance between Janine and um Oh, what's his, what's, uh, Gregory, Janine and Gregory, that Mm -hmm. it gave me pause. I don't know. My pause for the second season of Abbott Elementary was it became literally like every two minutes someone was looking at the camera. Sure. Which is like for shows like this, that, that joke is always going to land. But when you play that joke Mm -hmm. a dozen times in Mm -hmm. an episode, it's a lot. Yeah. Um, here's how I, what I'll say for, uh, win-win in terms of the Searchlight slate that year, because this is a yeah. year that Searchlight gets two Best Picture nominations. It, it's interesting what to were talk the two? about Ta- it. Let, remind our listeners what the two were. Uh, the Tree of Life and The Descendants. And it's interesting to talk about Giamatti in relation to the Alexander Payne thing. You know, his big snub is for an Alexander Payne movie. This year, he's uh, possibly a contender for an Alexander Payne movie. Is I think in terms of like this movie getting a push, the Alexander Payne movie is probably why this didn't get a better push from Searchlight because like you have the dramedy in The Descendants, mm-hmm. a significantly less good movie than Win Win yeah. in my estimation. Yeah, and you know that's even though if Win Win's chances, best chances were in an original screenplay race, mm-hmm. you know that. The Descendants wasn't a direct competitor there, but, you know, do you push that movie, which is actually released during the awards season and has a major movie star at the head, or do you, right. you right. know, this small spring movie? That opened, I was going to say, that opened in March, like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, I at least feel that way, that, like, if The Descendants wasn't so much of an obstacle, you know, you can see that Searchlight mm-hmm. does well with uh, movies from earlier in the year because Tree right. of Life is right there. Right. Tree um, of Life was May? Yes. Yeah. Or maybe maybe it was June, actually, but it debuted at Cannes, so. Yeah. What they is also it? had Margaret and Martha Marcy this year. They had Shame. Right. They were pushing that very late. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, Shame probably doesn't get that Best Actor nomination because they were also pushing George Clooney. I was going to say, and a lot of really good movies on that roster sex. that fell by the wayside because of the focus on, not because of the focus on The Descendants or The Tree of Life, but like uh, Martha Marcy May Marlene and Shame, I think, are two movies that I would have yeah. expected to do a lot better. Even even a major, uh, you know, indie label can only handle so mm-hmm. much mm-hmm. 
product at a time. You see, you see this with someone like Netflix, where I think part of the reason why Netflix doesn't have as strong of an Oscar tally as you think they would is because they're constantly pushing Multiple so things. many movies. Yeah. You know, they're not yeah, yeah. focused to, in the way that you know some distributors are. It's true. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention about Tom McCarthy at this point in his career was this was around the time that he was directing that ultimately uh, failed Game of Thrones pilot that had to get completely reshot. Oh, um, I didn't realize that was him. Yeah, and um, and it's one of those things where... That's he, so weird. It's supposedly, from like every consideration, was like a horrendous pilot and had to be almost like completely revamped. He is like, his name was, was not even credited as the director by that point. There were so many reshoots that like, why would you even hire Tom McCarthy to do games, game of Thrones? It just seems so completely out of his wheelhouse. And, but like the creators of game of Thrones have like said, I looked up and it was actually our friend, Joanna Robinson uh, wrote this article. Um, where they're like, they talk about that original pilot and they talk about how bad it was. And they're just like, they are ripping, not McCarthy specifically, but ripping the episode. So like, you know, they call it a piece of shit and they say that like, they took it to Craig Mazin and I can't remember who was the other person to like have a look at it. And they were like, there's nothing redeeming about this. And there was 8 billion problems with it and yada, yada, yada. And um, and then ultimately the Game of Thrones uh, pilot episode is like one of the like best done, you know, pilots in, in recent memory. It's, it's this like hugely revered thing. And I feel so terrible. And Tom McCarthy was like, well, I'm probably not going to do TV for a while after this. So Alaska Daily is like in many ways kind of like a comeback for him in that regard. But like, you know, thank God yeah, he was no, able it to. It, got, it lasted one season. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we take our comebacks the way we can get them, and uh, um, but and the way we get them sometimes is creating uh, semi-deranged shows that only gays make fun of on the internet, and no one else watches. Yes, I would guarantee you there are grandparents who watched all of Alaska Daily. Like, I feel like that show. Not in big enough numbers to keep it alive, but I bet you there were people who watched Alaska Daily. Is what I will say. Um, but I was going to say, it makes me feel all the better that he was that Spotlight was able to win Best Picture. I know McCarthy didn't win Best Director, but that Spotlight was able to win Best Picture as sort of like a a career. Um, you know that that like somebody was telling Tom McCarthy that he did good work again because like that's sure. such a such a kick in the balls and yeah. to beat a movie like The Revenant which has a lot of that same sort of you know scope and and largesse as something like Game of Thrones. Um, I, I, don't I know. mean, Spotlight winning. I kind of and I I think I rewatched it within the past year. The my thing about Spotlight is when people are like, it's such a small movie. And I'm like, I guess, but not really. It's a system movie. It's a movie about a system. It's 
I think a lot of that, though, comes because it was in an Oscar race where it was up against The Revenant and Mad Max Fury Road. (laughs) So it's like, compared to those two movies, it really was like this. But like the movies it kept getting compared to, like All the President's Men, that's not a small movie. Correct. You could argue All the President's Men is a smaller movie because it's about fewer people. Like, Sure, sure. You know... not that I'm saying All the President's Men is a small movie. I I, th- I always feel like that's a silly moniker for Spotlight. But Spotlight kind of almost feels like the quintessential preferential ballot best picture winner mm-hmm. to me. Because it's like, you kind of look at that lineup, and to me, it's like, well, of course Spotlight's winning. People, There's not really people that dislike Spotlight, you know? I mean... <laughs> And maybe that finger quotes smallness is the thing that like certain people in the industry might have used against it. Like it's not big enough to win best picture. Yeah. But then again, they're going to say that about half of that best picture ballot anyway. What's funny is you bring up the narrative about spotlight that I don't always love, which is the um, it's a perfect consensus choice. Nobody didn't like it, which is true. But I think that tends to... But there's to, also people that loved it, That's too. the thing. I, like, I yeah. think that tends to sort of allow people to write off Spotlight as a movie that nobody really loved. And, like, I think Spotlight is a is an incredible movie. Is like, a yeah, genuinely stunning piece of work. And, and uh, a worthy winner of Best Picture. Even though, like, Mad Max Fury Road was a, you know, an accomplishment on a completely other level. And if Mad Max Fury Road had won Best Picture, it would have been good and right. But I am also a person who feels like... It's also maybe too much to ask the Academy to give that Best Picture. Sure. And I'm also somebody Um, who feels like in any given year, there are a lot of movies that would be the right choice to win Best Picture. I'm never a person who's like, there's one and only one movie that can win Best Picture. Um, Agreed. Agreed. I'm much more of a person who thinks that there are probably 10 movies that could, you know, that would be, you know, good and right to win best picture so um, and we're probably both both people who like if we had a ballot we would be putting mad max fury road sure yes but like spotlight would be a strong top two or three for me so sure 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 sure. in fact hold on tom mccarthy maker of good movies and also the cobbler and (laughs) i still have never seen the cobbler because in my mind if i don't see it it didn't happen i do really want i'm curious i'm curious about it i am curious it can't be that bad right it can't be collateral beauty well but the thing about collateral beauty is it's that bad so you're really happy you're you're happy you saw it ultimately whereas A movie like no The Cobbler could be bad in a way where you're just like, well, I regret the two hours that I spent watching that movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I want to look up and see where Spotlight ranked on my top ten in 2000. It really is a shame for The Cobbler because, like, if there's someone, you know, I mean, the the Adam Sandler serious actor mm. trademark emblem has been, you know, this thing... 20 years in the making or whatever. So it's not like, you know, there's not people who haven't tried, but it does feel like of the people who could maybe do a real bang up job of giving Adam Sandler, you know, the everyman type of thing. Tom McCarthy's not a bad option. Yeah. Uh, You know, what's funny is my top 10 for 2015 is um, forever enshrined because that was the first year that I did the blankies on blank check. So like it is on this one wiki that they have. So let me look up what was my top 10. My top 10 that year was 
Oh, jeez. You know, the movie that we haven't talked about at all. Uh, Carol. Carol. Yeah. Carol. I was going to say, fuck off. Nothing's beating Carol at my number one. All right. Hold on. My top ten that year were... Oh, I underrated Spotlight. And I underrated Mad Max Fury Road. This is a... Okay. This is a top ten that I already am looking at, and I'm like, I I would... mean, maybe that wasn't your actual top ten. Consider where you were and how Mad Max Fury Road probably didn't need your endorsement. But it was... I'll, all right, I'm going to put it in alphabetical order. You can look it up whenever. Find the blank pack, blank check wiki, but like, I don't stand by a lot of these. But in alphabetical order, my top ten that year were Carol, um, Eden, the uh, Mia Hansen love movie, Eden, which Good I movie. loved and still love. Good movie. Um, in Jackson Heights, the Frederick Weissman movie that I think is my favorite of the Weissmans and, and uh, is a perfect top 10 movie for me the look of silence the joshua oppenheimer follow-up to the act of killing um stunning movie mad max fury road mistress america uh what else do i have here room which was in my top five i don't think i would still have it in my top five nor would i but i remember putting it really high but i liked that movie um let's see Son of Saul, which I had as my in like higher on this than I would again if I made it, even though I really liked Son of Saul. Uh, Spotlight, Steve Jobs, and that's it. That's the ten. Steve uh, Jobs is good. If I did this again, my top five of those ten would absolutely be in some order: Carol, Spotlight, Mad Max Fury Road, Steve Jobs, and then either. Eden or Look of Silence, I think. That was a good year, 2015. I can't find my list. So, I mean, Carol would be my number one. Yeah. Just scrolling through my 2015, like, high rankings, uh, Mad Max Fury Road, uh, uh, Magical Michael, (laughs) Triple XL. Right. Laurie Anderson's Heart of the Dog. Oh, I never saw that, but yes. Uh, really hit me in a certain place in my uh, life and heart. Tangerine uh, was that there. Tangerine would probably make my top ten now, I feel like. Mustang. Mustang. Movie. Good movie. International feature nominee, Mustang. Good movie. Yeah. Mountains Made to Part. Yep. Oh, my God. I, I loved Mountains Made Apart. Oh, my goodness gracious. What I movie. was also a Chirac defender. I know there's people uh, who really don't like Chirac. I do. Um, Spy was that year. I really loved Spy. 45 Years was that year. It's a solid year. Yeah, Good I got it. 2015. 2015, I think, is our most discussed year on this podcast because there's so Maybe. many options. Maybe, yeah. We did this just recently. We talked about Love and Mercy, uh, uh, 2015. Very true, very true. All right. Um, I want to go through my notes and see if there's anything that I didn't... Oh, we talked very briefly about Amy Ryan's John Bon Jovi tattoo in this, um, (laughs) which is then followed by a montage set to Bon Jovi's It's My Life, which was one of their later later (laughs) career songs, which I mostly associate with... Um, Melinda Doolittle 
doing that song on Bon Jovi oh Week God. on American Idol. And she, and that was the thing about Melinda Doolittle. If you, listeners, if you weren't around for the Melinda Doolittle year of American Idol, you really were missing out on like a whole narrative. Her whole thing was she was a backup singer. So the narrative for Melinda was can you step to the front? Can you, you know, that 20 feet from stardom thing, right? Can you step to the front of the stage and be a star in your own right? And she was very shy and she was her personality was very every time she got a compliment it was the whole it wasn't quite taylor swift like shocked face in the audience but it was like really you liked it for me and it's and and (laughs) and she was so clearly better than every single other person that season and i love jordan sparks and i was happy when jordan sparks won but Melinda Doolittle was by far the most talented person. And then so all season, she's singing these very belty songs. She's singing, um, uh, and not even necessarily belty, but these kind of, you know, very put together. She's singing My Funny Valentine, and she's singing Home from uh, The Wiz and stuff like that. And then we get into Bon Jovi Week, and it's like, how is Melinda Doolittle going to handle Bon Jovi week and she gets out there and she does it's my life and she kind of like brings the house down with it and she's you know these big vocals and she's and then I think it was the very next week or one of the next few weeks she did um Nutbush City Limits uh the Tina Turner song and she fucking slayed that and again it was then all it was just like Melinda sort of like off the chain and unfortunately she got eliminated at top three because beatboxing white boy uh Blake Lewis had to make the top two. God. It, was, God. it was a classic American Idol case, though, of in the final three, you had two people who occupied a similar box and one person who had the box all to themselves. And American Idol voting was all about not diluting your support pool. And so Melinda and Jordan were pulling from the same pool of, of voters and Blake Lewis had them all, his, all of his voters to himself. And that's Well, and it's also like not diluting your voting block, but also amassing a voting block of tweens. Like, Mm. Melinda Doolittle was at a disadvantage because she didn't appeal to 11. She was an adult, and she seemed like an adult. She was in her 20s, but, like, she seemed like she was in her 30s. She had, like, she was sort of prepossessed in a way. And it's kind of... Especially once you're at top three, it's like, who appeals least two preteens it's kind of amazing she made it to top three actually like she was clearly the most talented but like in a a show like american idol it's it's you know those prompts every once in a while that like name a thing that you could give an entire hour-long ted talk about and like (laughs) yours is melinda doolittle or like so many of mine could be different little Tempest in a teapot things that happened on American Idol. I could go an hour on the whole Sanjaya Malakar thing. I could go an hour on the whole vote for the worst phenomenon. Or, like, so many, like, it was, oh, God, it's, it's, I'm not happy about it, but I'm not ashamed of it either. So here we are. Here we are. I feel like on paper, the American Idol thing that it's like, who appeals to tweens, like, this winner did appeal more to tweens, but I cannot explain why. And if you weren't there, you're just not going to get it. But Taylor Hicks winning <laughs> is the like on paper 
break of this rule because why did Taylor Hicks beat Catherine McPhee? It remains one of our great national nightmares, even though she is a Republican. Here's what I will also say, though, is that one of the interesting things about American Idol as you move through the seasons is it's a it's it's a shadow map of cell phone technology and availability through the years because as cell phones got easier for adults to use your taylor hicks's were i know taylor hicks was the season before melinda doolittle but still you were seeing more of an influence of i would say moms you know what i mean um (laughs) i think that era where it was uh handsome white boys with guitars was i think very mom uh, intensive. Not that the tweens wouldn't have loved that, but every year you were like, why isn't this like young girl who would be like so appealing to tweens succeeding more? And it's like, well, there are now more. Well, it's because moms. the large, it wasn't like the study done that the largest voting demographic for American Idol was like 11 year old white girls in the South. I think at one point, yes, that was definitely true. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. But sometimes the handsome white boys were also very good. Justice for Chris Allen. Okay, so um, back to Wendy. Who beat Chris Allen? No, Chris Allen won. Oh, but people right. wanted to say that Adam Lambert was the rightful winner of that season. Adam Lambert was never going to win because homophobia. Okay, but also I don't love that because that then puts me in the bucket of homophobia by wanting no, Chris no, no, Allen no, 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 to be. No, that's Adam not what I'm Lambert. saying. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying. There was a zero percent chance of him winning, sure, against pretty much anybody. He would. He's another been competing with. But also, Adam Lambert was overrated. Sorry, but Adam Lambert also appealed to tween girls because what do tween girls love? It's gay boys who aren't sexually threatening to me whatsoever. You know what I mean? Just like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Adam sure, Lambert yes. was a cartoon character for them, and and they really loved that. But then again, Chris Allen was also not sexually threatening. But cute as a button, that little one. There you go. Um, How did we fall this far into an American Idol? Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi. Which in my notes, I literally did write down as Bob Jovi, which now I feel like is a... (laughs) Bob (laughs) Jovi. My name's Bob Jovi. What a great drag king name. Did you know that John Bon Jovi wanted to buy the Buffalo Bills at one point? Would you have died? Well... No, because the other person who famously wanted to buy the Buffalo Bills at one point was Donald Trump. So that's one of those like sliding doors things where like one of the last things that Donald Trump tried to do before he decided he was going to run for president was try to buy the Buffalo Bills. And so I've had people uh, say to me, too, it's just like, if you had it in your power to allow Donald Trump to buy the Buffalo Bills in order to spare the country from the Donald Trump presidency, <laughs> would you have made that sacrifice? And like, on pay, like, yes, I say yes, I would, but it's one of those things where it's like, it's easier for you to say, but like, then picture me with like my hand hovering over the button and my hand is shaky. And it's like, could I do this? Could I like absolutely ruin my beloved football team to save the world. And like, I would, but again, my hand would be shaking before I did it. So, um, anyway, life's weird. Anybody would doubt you, uh, or or would judge you for doing that. You could just say, listen, I come to you from a different future. (laughs) Yes. Um, there was a, there was a back to win, win for a second though. There was a, a times article about the movie 
ahead of time. It had a couple quotes that I pulled out, which I thought were uh, really interesting. The one was from Tom McCarthy talking about writing this teenage character. Um, and he said, a lot of teenagers I know are like this. They're deadpan, disinterested. But beneath that veneer of coolness, there's a real personality. And you feel lucky if you get to see it. And I think that's such a good quote because I think it really pertains to the way that he wrote this character and yeah 100 percent. um it's a great way to look at i think writing teen characters as an adult is hard because you're sort of fighting through the thicket of your own memories of your own teenage years which are unreliable and which are subjective and then you look at teens from your perspective as an adult and they're like alien creatures and you like observe them from afar. I don't know if you feel this way, but like I feel this way where it's like, what are you people like? And like every once in a while, I'll be like around my younger cousins who are in like teens to early twenties years. And every time I end up at like a family party and talking to them, I end up being like, I'm conducting a survey over the phone where I'm like, what are you guys into? Do you guys go to the movies? How do you listen to music? What do you guys do on the weekends? What's your, you know what I mean? I'm like an anthropologist, sort of like, what is teenage life like now? And I hope that they don't find me like to be incredibly creepy when I do this, but like, I'm just so curious about like, what, what do you do? What do you like? How do you consume things? What is it like? Um, and it fascinates me. And so I think writing a teen character as an adult in a very successful way, you almost have to have this attitude that Tom McCarthy has of there's there's a, there's a shell there. There's a wall there. And if you are able to get a peek underneath that, be fortunate, you know, that's, feel fortunate for that and sort of take from that um, what you can. And I think it, it it led to him writing a really good character. That or you can be Mavis Gary. <laughs> True. Like a like a like a thief. Like a Same thief year in the as night. This. Yes. The other Should have been Diablo Cody's second Oscar. That's true. Um the other quote though. This from original that... screenplay oh, yes. uh, category blows. Oh yeah. Read them read uh, off. Woody Allen wins for Midnight in Paris. Ugh. The artist is somehow not... (laughs) Everything about the artist is... I know. uh, God, God. Um, March and Call is nominated, which is not a bad movie. No, it's not. It's an interesting movie. But I think it got a... That movie had a successful run for what it was, and it also had a successful VOD life when that Mm -hmm. was still Mm -hmm. in its infancy. But I don't think that there is anything all that exceptional or worthy of an Oscar nomination there. And then the good nominees are Bridesmaids and Asghar Verhati's A Separation. Yes. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. There are, there's a number of movies that you can absolutely refill this lineup with. And like, yeah, we were, we were both, I mean, obviously, you know, the way we discuss Woody Allen now is not entirely the way that we discussed it then, even though we were having those conversations then. Still we were. Too. But that was we a were time... both the people that were like, what is the big deal about Midnight in Paris? Well, and, right? and like you felt that way. Yes. And during that era, I would like a lot of those Woody Allen movies. Like it wasn't every like he made I a like movie Match every Point. year. Match Point's a good movie. I loved Match Point. I loved Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Like there were absolutely movies made in that era that I liked along a whole spectrum of like liked to loved to hated to whatever. And Midnight in Paris, I never got the appeal beyond as i've always said with that many 
interesting actors playing very quirky characters, Adrian Brody as Dolly or Tom Hiddleston and Alison Pill as F. Scott and Zelda Fitzgerald, Kathy Bates as Bella Abzug. Who was she playing? Um, don't remember. Don't remember. But even all of that just felt like bits and the foundation of that movie. Gertrude Stein, not, not Bella Abzug. Gertrude Stein. Good. Like, yeah. Um, yes, I agree. And if you want to award that, then you award those actors. Don't award, like, the movie. 100%. Nominate Corey Stoll for playing Hemingway. Like, that's, that's your nominee. But, um, no, I think we definitely had the same, uh, the same feeling about Midnight in Paris. Was not a fan. You could have win-win in this category. You could have young adult in this category. We've talked about this. Obviously, that year, Margaret was not really going to happen, but you could have Margaret in that category. Want to hear my original screenplay nominees from that year? Of course I do. Okay. Ahem. Ahem. Um, <laughs> okay, it's an incredible category. So, first of all... Oh, no, wait. I'm looking at 2015. Hold on. Let me scroll. Let me scroll. Let me scroll. Um, 2011. Original screenplay. Original. Okay. Abbas Kiarostami for Certified Copy. Great call. Diablo Cody for Young Adult. Kenneth Lonergan for Margaret. Andrew Hay for Weekend. Sean Durkin for Martha Marcy May Marlene. Tom McCarthy is in my top eight. Ashgar Farhadi for A Separation is right there at number six. Um, Meek's Cutoff is on this list. Contagion is on this list. 50-50 is on this list. Shame. It's a good list. It's a good, uh, there's some good ones that could have been nominated there. Instead. Can I just get this out there and we can move on hopefully quickly uh-huh. because I don't need the masses coming after me. What? One of my dirty secrets is like, I just, you are, you are good and wonderful to include Andrew Hay in this list. Oh, do you I not don't like think Weekend? Weekend is anywhere near his best movie. I don't like I just I just don't that movie does not land with me the way that it seems to land with everyone else. I will say I don't think there is an everyone else with Weekend. I remember when Weekend came out there were a ton of people talking about this why is why are people lauding this movie as, you know, finally an authentic gay movie. This doesn't reflect my gay experience. I don't understand what the big deal about this movie is. I think there was a lot of... I just... I think there was a lot of People go overboard with that movie. I think comparing it to, like, Before Sunrise is, like, that's that's giving Weekend way too much credit. Before Sunrise is a high bar to clear, I would say. I would not do that. And, like, everybody just throws it out there, like, Weekend clears it easily, and I'm like, no. I will say, with his new movie coming up, but it doesn't. With with his new movie coming up, I'm really interested to go back and rewatch Weekend. Um, He's never made a movie I haven't liked. I feel the same. Yeah. Uh, I really liked 45 Years. I really liked Lean on Pete. Um, I really like looking. I think a lot of people oh, misinterpreted looking because 100%. I don't think looking is on that Jonathan Groff's character side at all. Um, but looking as a television show, it's harder to compare. I really, it's hard to compare a television show to a movie. 
I think there's just objectives are different and the, right. you know, whatever. It's just hard. To well, do. that's why Andrew Hay is, is interesting. I feel like the yeah. objectives of everything he's made is completely different. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm yeah. so excited for this new movie of his. I'm really, really uh, pins and needles. Can't wait for it. Okay. Um, Two yeah. last things with win-win, unless you have any other notes. Well, I had one more across. quote from that uh, Times article that oh, I wanted give to it, mention. Give it to me. We'll give our two things and we'll move on to the IMDb game. Um, is Alex Schaefer was talking about the wrestling scenes in the movie. And uh, he, at the end, just goes, I didn't want to see another Vision Quest. And I thought that was so funny that like a teenager <laughs> in 2011 would have been mad about a movie like Vision Quest for not getting the wrestling stuff right. Um, That that was very funny to me. I liked it a lot. I love that. Yeah. Uh, What Madonna songs from Vision Quest? Crazy for you. Crazy for Uh, you. One of my favorite Madonna songs. One of her best. Absolutely. Totally. Um, Everybody's so lazy when they're like, favorite Madonna song, like a prayer. And it's just like... Listen, I like a prayer is my favorite Madonna song. I mean, like... like, Crazy for you is up there. yeah. Those are classics for a reason, yeah. and the and people say those for a reason. Yeah. Like, Crazy yeah. for You, I actually think my favorite Madonna song is Open Your Heart. Uh, one, one of the best. Too, too, too many divergences in this episode. No such uh, thing, Chris. No such thing. I did have one last thing to say. Um, looking at Alex Schaefer's acting credits, because I was like, where did he sort of go after this? Um, he was in that movie, The Lifeguard, that uh, Kristen Bell movie that was at Sundance. He was in the Zac Efron movie, We Are Your Friends, the DJ movie, playing a character named Squirrel. Um, and sure. then he was in a movie that I had never really heard before, except maybe the title sounded a little, little familiar to me, called Youth in Oregon, uh, which it was uh, directed by that guy from Avatar, uh, Joel David Moore. Um Avatar. Uh, from Avada, um, starring. So it's Billy Crudup, uh, driving his eighty-year-old father, played by Frank Lang- Langella, on a cross-country thing to Oregon, where the old man is going to uh die. Essentially, it's sort of like is choosing to die. Um, and it's but like it's one of those movies that like we joke about like movies that don't exist and it's movies that we actually heard about at one point, but don't exist anymore. This is one of those cadre. Like there's a, there's a level of movie that just, you didn't happen. You know what I mean? That might as well didn't happen. You just never heard of it. And then you look at it and it's like Joel David Moore, the guy from uh, avatar made this movie with, and like all these people sort of like made a movie together. And it's like Billy Crudup and Frank Langella and Christina Applegate and Mary Kay Place and Josh Lucas and Alex Schaefer. That's what I sort of because like thinking about it from the Alex Schaefer POV is like I'm Alex Schaefer. I have this experience where I'm making this movie with like Mary Kay Place and Marianne Plunkett and Christina Applegate and Billy Crudup and Everybody just sort of like makes this small little movie and you have this small little experience with these people and then you make this movie and it doesn't really come to much. And it's like, it doesn't matter to us, but I imagine for a kid like that, like Alex Schaefer, that's a really like, that's an experience. You know what I mean? That's like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. So every once in a while I sort of think about that and like the process of making movies. And a lot of times I'm sure it's like a lot more like, you know, compartmentalized and bite-sized and whatever than this. But especially I think about that, especially when I think of like little indie movies like this and like, 
I don't know. It's 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 interesting. I don't Agreed. know. I don't know why that that you know uh, hit me, but it well, it can still be a, if you're the creator of something, it can still be the experience for you, and you can have creative growth through that process. Right. It's just maybe. I mean, you probably don't get the that just from and just the experience of making it, just the actual like time spent with these other sort of you know creative people and lord knows like who knows maybe it was this hellish experience where like frank langella like yelled at everybody for two weeks but like i don't know uh conceivable conceivable <laughs> right yes but you know uh know. quietly canceled uh frank langella yes okay um, all right yes. what were your final thoughts before we move on uh win-win was a national board of review top 10 independent films of 2011 the others were 50 50 another earth uh Joe Reed's uh, like eleven standum continues unabated for Britt Marling. Yes, uh, her Britt Marling, her TV show got pushed back a month, and I was like, I was gonna say, where is Britt Marling? She's making a TV show for FX. I feel that, like you would be on the case that was supposed to be coming in September, and it is now coming in November, and I'm okay. excited for it. Pushed back because of. Uh, the AMPTP's inability to pay fair wages. Just for fuck's sake, just pay people and give us our entertainment industry back. I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, also, in the NBR top 10 independent films, Beginners, uh-huh. A Better Life, which would go on to get Damien Bashir his Best Actor nomination, Cedar Rapids, also Sundance a movie. Fox Searchlight movie, yeah. Margin Call, Shame, Take Shelter, and We Need to Talk About Kevin. More importantly, Win Win was an M for G's Best Movie for Grown Up nominee. And I would say, I know you will disagree, uh, the rightful winner of the category. The winner was The Descendants, also nominated The Artist. This is Best Movie for Grown Ups, right? This is the top Best Movie for Grown Ups. Yes. Uh, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, Midnight in Paris, and Warhorse. That's a very Oscar uh, overlappy best uh, best it film really category. Win uh, win is there. We're cool too. Not yes. Uh, yeah, for me, Warhorse wins that one easily, as it should yeah. have won the Oscar easily. And, um, yeah, we uh, we've been saying that you know original screenplay was how the movie uh, really stayed in the race, uh, despite mostly talking about Paul Giamatti. But uh, we should mention that Win Win was nominated for original screenplay at Critics Choice, Indie Spirits, and the Writers Guild. The Writers Guild nomination is a is a biggie for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it, you know Writers Guild nominations somewhat you can take not with a grain of salt there's a lot of things that are ineligible for writers because of you know guild membership or you know not written in the way that the guild says has to be written for eligibility etc but it makes it a more interesting signpost on the award season route too because it gives you usually a sense of okay well these are the movies that are right outside of a nomination and we love we love getting those little windows during award season Yeah. yeah and i remember from this lineup because Bridesmaids was nominated for this and this is when you know people are really beating the drum for Bridesmaids to be an Oscar nominee mm-hmm. and you know a lot of skepticism towards that being possible mm-hmm. this definitely put some wind in the sails of that yeah. and Bridesmaid is eventually an Oscar nominee indeed deservedly so deservedly so yes All right. Joe should we move on to the IMDB game let's do it would you like to tell our listeners what the IMDB game is 
Uh, I suppose I could. I could tell them that every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game. I could uh, go further and say that the IMDb game is a game where we challenge each other with the name of an actor or actress, and we try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television roles, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we mention that up front. After one of us gets two wrong guesses, they will get the remaining titles release years as a clue, and if that is not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. IMDb game. You, sir. Yes. Are you giving or guessing first? In your estimation, do I tend to give or guess first most often? You know, uh, enterprising listeners... <laughs> do not ask to somebody tally. to tally all of these my god uh, it's so many episodes don't moving do forward see if you notice any trends because okay. i don't want to track that you probably don't want to track that either but uh all right um so what i did was went into the uh the... you're giving first you're saying. oh sorry yes i am giving first my bad um i already moved on in my head (laughs) as i tend to do okay so i went into the filmography of uh tom mccarthy and i went into his various movies and the casts of those movies and one of those movies was sorry one second as i'm scrolling 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 and i'm trying to make sure that i'm getting the path to this one right um I thought I had pulled this up, and I had not... Oh, it's because I pulled it up on my laptop. That's why. We can cut all this out. It's totally fine. Um, Yowza. Yowza, indeed. Okay. So, 2007's The Visitor. Mm. A good Tom McCarthy movie. One we didn't really talk about very much. One of the stars of that movie, though, not the main star, but one of the supporting performers in that is my beloved character actor, Richard Kind. Richard, Richard Kind, Kind has wow. a known for with That's gonna be so two hard. voice performances. I thought you were going to say Hioma Bus, and then I was going to get to do the, we're getting her a taxi to go to the subway to go back to her little <laughs> to apartment. Her little apartment. <laughs> I mean, truly, I think that that is the most gag-worthy line of the entirety of Succession. The, that so final season of Succession had, like, five lines like that, though, because the other one... Just, I, like, total, like, side-swiping lines. The ludicrously just, like, capacious bag line. The, uh, the taxi <laughs> the taxi to her... The, the taxi to the subway to her tiny apartment. Yeah. The ludicrously capacious bag thing, though, is, like... It's there's three follow up lines that are even funnier <laughs> when he talks about like it looks like she's it looks like she's gonna slide it across the the floor as, as part of a bank heist <laughs> like <laughs> I'm telling you like I already have to rewatch the entirety of Succession I know I know that people are annoyed and we do need to actually move in the, on in the guess what we can't because the Emmys aren't until January in the lead up to the finale I watched a lot of the early season episodes to do like a bunch of retrospectives and like those it's so funny all right. I know I sound obnoxious when I say this, but I'm just going to say it. So many people were not in on succession in the first season and then pretend like that never happened. And I was in that, I was in on that show from the beginning. And there were people who were like, well, it got better in the second season. That's why, you know, and like justifying why they didn't. 
And here's what I'm going to tell you. After watching that show again, that show was good from the jump. That show was so good yeah. in its first season. And people who say that it got it only got good in its second season are trying to justify the fact that they were not on board early, is all I will say. That's all I will say. <laughs> I wasn't on board early, and I agree with you. Thank you. Um, uh, Richard Kind. I love Richard Kind. Richard Kind, like, two voice performances. Okay. Uh, Bing Bong, or whatever it's called, Inside Out. Yeah, Inside Out, yep. He played Richard Kind is just one of those people who are so monolithic that it's just like mm-hmm. saying their name in the context of this game immediately sends you into the white space yes. where it's like yes. they are just the monolith yeah they don't exist for any one thing ever sure it's just the monolith sure yep i know what you mean that being said i got one you take right. it one yes <laughs> the second one i mean the the tricky thing about richard kind is a voice performance is not uh, going to help narrow it down like it would normally for people because Richard Kind it could just as easily be like The Simpsons for a it's voice not it's a it's a film it's not a television I will say okay it's a voice there's for no a television there's no television that's a little weird um huh I'm I'm I know I'm just you you're fine to be this mean to me because like you've been mean recently. You've been and I'm being very I'm being very gentle to you today so okay feel guilty about that <laughs> What's the other voice performance there's I'm I mean like it's Anna eh, I feel like he's done other Pixar besides Inside Out No Um Richard Kind. I'm guessing Bo is not Bo is afraid is not on there. It's not on there. I'm trying to think of recent things. Yeah. I'm also trying to think of just like comedies, but like he's such a character actor. Yeah. He works a lot is the thing. A lot. A lot. Um how many credits does he have for 2023 already? Oh gosh, let me look. Um, including upcoming, no. I'm willing to bet there's at least five. Um, he's been in a Cohen's, right? What Cohen's was he in? Um, okay, including TV stuff, it's 14 credits in 2023. Jesus Christ! This is why I can't name anything because if there's one thing, there's a million things. Um. Uh, okay. I will. S- I'm. I'm gonna try to get this animated. Okay. First. Yes. And I don't feel like they Pixar would reuse him in something like that, but it it does also seem possible that he's in like Monsters Inc. Um, or Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo? Not Finding Nemo. Okay. I almost just want my years so I can start getting hints. Um, fine, I'll say Bo is Afraid. No, not Bo is Afraid. Okay, so okay. your years are 1998, 2009, and 2012. Which one's the animated? 1998. Is that Pocahontas? No, that was like that was 95. 90. 
Oh, okay. 98 Pocahontas, like... you gotta go back to England with John Smith. <laughs> he plays, like, I don't know, a B. Um, 98, is that... Grandmother Willow. A Bug's Life? Is it A Bug's Life? Uh, it's A Bug's Life, yes. It's A Bug's Did Life. Did you ever see I... um, John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch on Netflix? No, no, I'm. No. It's not always easy to predict your tastes. I think you would really love John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch. It's... The kids in it are so funny and like natural and and naturally performative. But so there's when I shit on theater camp and you were like the good stuff about that movie is also the good stuff uh, is also why you would like. Yes. John Mulaney. That was the pause that made me be like, okay, maybe I would like that. So Um, Richard Kind is in a segment called Girl Talk with Richard Kind. And it's Richard Kind and three of these <laughs> That's funny. three of these girls. And it's just and he's just chatting with them. Okay, Girl Talk. I'm here for you. I'm an open book, so ask me anything. Girl Talk, go ahead. Actually, who did you play in a bug's life? In a bug's life? Yeah. Oh. I was I was Molt, but you won't remember the name. But I was, you know, remember the angry grasshopper? Yeah. I was his brother. His life as an actor. And like one of the things that's interesting is you work on a production and you get really close with all these people and then you never work with them again. And it's just like, and it's just like, and it's this, this weird thing. And they're like, no, I think I would, if I'm in something with them, I'm going to be friends with those people forever. And it's like, you say that now, but you're a kid, you know, uh, you, you, you are, you're, you you grow up, you're an adult and you work on something and then you leave it behind. And so at the one point he just goes, um, I, he's, he's talking about the movies that they might've seen him in. And he goes, Oh, you know what you might've seen is a bug's life, you know, a bug's life. And they're like, oh, yeah. And, and he goes, you know, the bad guy in a bug's life. And they're like, Oh my God. the bad. And he just goes, I played his brother. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's it's one of one of many highlights of John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Much. But anyway, um yes, he plays Molt in A Bug's Life. All right, so you're This two- is also part of the reason why Richard Kind is so difficult for this because Richard Kind is Richard Kind. Yes. Like Richard Kind is not a character in anything. Richard Kind is Richard Kind. So your two missing um, ones are live action ones, 2009-2012. Yep. I will say if you want more hints, both best picture nominees. Okay, well that that makes sense for the game. So 2009, he's not an avatar, but God, I wish he was. <laughs> um, Jake Sully. <laughs> Natiri's uh, in trouble. Right. I don't know why my um, Richard Kind is just yelling. Richard, he's not in that. He's not in. Um, not in the Hurt Locker. Not in Precious. Not in the Blind Side possibly in an education as soon as you land on it it's going to be like duh because it's the most richard kind of all of the 20 of all the 2009 nominees is it a serious man it's a serious man yes yeah 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 yeah. uh masterpiece a serious man and then 2012 oscar nominee 2012 is like one of those years that i can never place because after the artist it is So, Jean Dujardin gives an Oscar to Jennifer Lawrence, so it's the Silver Linings year. Is he in Silver's li- Silver Linings? Not in Silver Linings. No, I didn't think so. No. Um, 
so that's Jennifer Lawrence, and he's not in a more. <laughs> no, oh my god. <laughs> he's Imagine, their like, neighbor Richard in a more playing Uper's husband or something <laughs> in a more. Um, okay, what are uh, not in Beasts of the Southern Wild? Put a pin in Argo, possibly. Argo? Argo. He's in Argo. That's not. He's one of eight man. billion people. Like I know that I struggled to get like Richard Kind in anything, but like I don't. No one's thinking of that man for Argo. And he's got to be like twelfth build at best. He's got to be like fourteenth, nineteenth. Let me see. In Argo, I uh, let me check, and hopefully it's not build alphabetically. Let's see. I have to pull up Richard Kind just to like pay. My respects to the legend because I did so poorly. But you understand I'm I'm right when I say that Richard Kind is about as difficult as you can get. Richard Kind is like eighteenth build in Fargo. Oh my god. You said Fargo. Ar- or Argo. <laughs> Sorry. Um he plays the snow. Um But like you I'm not wrong when I say you don't necessarily think of Richard no. Kind for certain roles. You think of Richard Kind right. being Richard Kind, yes. being the legend that he is. Yes. And that's no Which like, is why you should watch John Mulaney and the Sacklodge Bunch because like, he's playing... he doesn't make memorable characters, yeah. but like Richard Kind can conceivably show up in anything, even if it's Avatar. <laughs> this is why you should watch Sacklodge Bunch because he plays himself and he's right. he's playing Richard Kind. Yes. Okay. Um you did well considering. That was a tough one. I mean, I think that took me a good 15 minutes, yes. so I don't know about that. For you, however, I have also gone to the well of Tom McCarthy performers, including one who was Oscar-nominated for one of his movies. For you, I have chosen Rachel McAdams. Oh. Have we not done Rachel McAdams? Apparently not. All right. The Notebook. The Notebook, Correct. Mean Girls. Mean Girls, correct. Spotlight. Incorrect. Her Oscar nomination is not in her known for. What's interesting is, like, it felt like an era that is now over, but it was weird Mm -hmm. we were ever in that place to begin with, that, like, in talking Mm -hmm. about Rachel McAdams being great, it took a while to get Mean Girls on that level for some reason. Yeah. Yes. Maybe because Mean Girls is way more monoculture than it was like 10 years ago where it was like girls and gays loving it. But now, you know, Mean Girls is true monoculture. Yes, I think so. I think the fact that it's in that god-awful Regal uh, quotes uh, promo at the beginning of Regal movies is a sign that it's like one of those monoculture movies. Because that ad only has quotes from monoculture movies. Um. I haven't seen it. Uh, Rachel McAdams. What's that? I haven't seen it because I don't have a Regal. You're fine. Um, I miss AMC so bad. Okay. Uh, I hate Red Eye. I only have that experience at AMCs. Oh, I love AMC. Red Eye. Red Eye, correct. I thought that would be more difficult. Um, And it's got to be another one that she's the lead in. Oh, I bet you it's that one Nicholas Sparks. What was her Nicholas Sparks movie? The Notebook. 
Oh, no. There's another one that I'm thinking of. Maybe it's not Nicholas Sparks. Maybe it's a knockoff. Um, the one with Channing Tatum where you see his butt a lot. Um, and she has amnesia. The Vow. Um, the Vow. Is it The Vow? Hold on. I need to double check if The Vow is a Nicholas Sparks. Uh, at least not credited on IMDb. It is not The Vow. So, oh my god, so it's a total uh, knockoff Nicholas Sparks. Okay. Exactly. Your year is 2009. 2009, Rachel McAdams. So it's not Midnight in Paris, thank goodness. That movie, so mean to her. Um, 2009. What is she doing in 09? That's before About Time. Is it like an obvious thing that I'm totally missing? No. Is she the lead? She is probably third build. Okay. Third build. Rachel McAdams, 2009. This is one of the times that we were like, how dare we not find a better vehicle for Rachel McAdams than this? But this is maybe also in a downward moment for Rachel McAdams' career. It's not the one where she's like the the war veteran who comes home. No, that's the lucky ones. The lucky ones, right. Um, if I recall correctly, Tiff Gala, the lucky one. Oh, you know what this is? Oh, this makes It's going to make me mad, right? It's one of those ones that makes me mad. It's Sherlock Holmes. It's Sherlock Holmes. God damn it. She deserves so much better. She deserves better than that being in her known for. She deserved better than having to be in that movie instead of something that would give her something. <laughs> See, this is exactly what I was saying, and we still feel this way. Uh, yeah. and listen, this year, any awards body that wants to uh, recognize her wonderful performance in Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Supporting actress campaign. Doing, make it happen. Uh, would be doing a good thing. I really thought that that would be the movie that the most annoying people online wouldn't shut up about this year and it's not thank god because this movie deserves better than annoying people one of these days we're gonna do that'll be a patreon exclusive episode i want to explore your notion of the most annoying people online because i feel like it's an expansive definition i feel like i don't have like a list of those people it's just you see the things that not a list like but like the types of your feed and sometimes you see it's just like ugh, it's just like uh, like annoying, and it's it's especially annoying when the annoying people latch onto something that's good. <laughs> okay, okay, this is just like this is not pointed in any way. This is like anthropological. Do the people who are still in late August making um my job is beach uh, jokes um uh, are they some of the most annoying people or the She's blank, he's just blank, like Barbie template, like I mean uh I mean like I hate prompt tweets, but everybody follows prompt tweets. They're not prompt tweets though. They're just memes. They're just See, people making the I same do fucking joke. What's funny is like someone being like his job is just beach to something two years from now when it's like everybody remembers this everybody remembers making sure. those jokes and then getting annoyed by those jokes and then two years later here's someone making that old joke that is funny to me <laughs> sure but like I'm talking about somebody who like made that joke like yesterday 
no, that's that's not a super annoying person. It's just it's you know, like this this Ken's job is, you know, impeachment. You know, I don't know something. No, that's like, just that's that's like that's just like a joke's lifespan once it hits Facebook. You know, like, fascinating. That's always fascinating. That End you're not of the bothered line. By you those know, people. sometimes people just they just you know things right, might just be stale. Right. I'm Staleness gonna figure it out. I'm gonna figure stale. out what what annoys you on Twitter. It's a project of mine. Okay, um, are we done? I think we're done. That is our win episode. Uh, listeners, Joe and I at the current airing are. Uh, wrapping up our time at the Toronto International Film Festival. Yeah. We'll have our TIFF episode for you next week. But if you want to see any of our re- reactions, uh, we're going to tell you where to follow us. But for now, that's our episode. If you want more of This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz and on Instagram at thishadoscarbuzz. And at now on our Patreon at patreon.com slash thishadoscarbuzz. Joe, where can the listeners find you to see any of those TIFF reactions? Twitter and Letterboxd. I will be doing Letterboxd reactions to some degree. Probably not in depth, but in some way. I don't like uh, doing immediate reactions that much anymore, but yeah. But I gotta log it. We've talked about this. We talked about this, I think, in the Patreon, maybe. Um yeah, uh, Twitter and Letterboxd, at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. I am also on Twitter and Letterboxd at Chris V. File, that's F-E-I-L. We would like to thank Taylor Cole for our theme music, Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork, and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Medias for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, where, well, not Stitcher anymore, Stitcher's dying we'll take that out of the copy uh wherever else you get those podcasts though and a five-star review in particular really helps us out with apple podcast visibility so show off your jbj tattoos uh (laughs) with a review i guess uh that's all for this week we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz